What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another show of Tour Life. You got Brody and Yuli as always, and we have a great, great show for you tonight. We are going to be talking about what happened at the Dynamic Disc Open last week. We've got Parker and Haley, both the winners from last tournament, both going to be on joining us later today. Got lots of questions to ask them. Going to be interested to hear what went down with uh, just their mentality. Cause there was some interesting, interesting plays and some interesting, uh, I mean, it was a, a close tournament. It was not a blowout by any means. So lots of questions there. Uh, what's the outrage with Emporia country club, tons of people very upset with, uh, the lack of fans at the tournament, the actual course itself. We'll dig into that. Then we've got also, we got to talk about, sorry, we have a lot to talk about. We've got the Des Moines challenge. We are currently in uh, Indianola, Iowa, baby. Where are you at right now, Yuli? <laughs> I'm in Iowa for sure. I'm in, uh, I'm actually at uh, Titan disc golf shop, the Titan disc golf shop, Matt Schleybach was nice enough to uh, host a signing for Discraft um, tonight. And so I just got done with that at seven. Uh, I got out of there a little earlier and I'm in his office. He let me use his office to, to do the tour life. So shout out to, to Matt for hooking it up this week. Very nice. I am currently at a sick farmhouse, which is the Airbnb for Jomez this week. Yuli got okay. me linked up with them because I was like, bro, my internet at my hotel is super trash. So shout out to Jomez for letting me come in here and use their internet. Big, big plus for you guys. So I'm not going to be like a robot talking and going in and out. Uh, we also have to talk about the President's Cup. Teams were just announced. Uh, I hit up Nate Sexton, got some words from him. We also have a Euro Tour, the, the Euro Tour Paul Macbeth update of Kono Peace. Am I saying that right? Kono Peace Day? That's pretty close. Kono Peace Day. Peace, Kono oh, Peace Day. Day. Kind of no, it's, I think it's kind of, I call it kind of peach day like you. So I, I don't know if that's okay. right or wrong, but that's how it, and then I we feel got, like it is. And then we got an Aaron Gossage hot take, which you were a part of. So we'll get into that as well to kind of wrap up the show. So without further ado, let's jump in, man. Let's talk about DDO. What happened with you out there? How, how was your tournament? Man, it was crazy. It was, uh, I felt pretty confident going in, you know, games kind of trending in the right direction. And I just like, it seems like every week got off to a pretty slow start. I shot a three under first round, which wasn't that good, but it was also like the first round. And that was like when everybody was filling out the course and how it was playing, uh, left a, a few shots out there. Second round played pretty solid shot a seven under maybe a six yeah, under I saw six that. under. I think it was seven. I think it was seven. Unless you bogey okay. the last hole. No, I did bogey the last hole, but I think I did shoot a seven. You're right. And okay. Okay. And then, uh, final round, I, sh I shot a solid round of five under and I can get into how that happened. I, I was looking at the scores. I'm um, going in the last few holes and I saw that I was two strokes in the cash. And 16, 17, 18 are pretty tough, you know? And so I made the island on 16, laid up like a 35-footer, uh, put it just outside the circle, like with a little wind on 17, laid that one up. And 18, I had about a 45-footer, and I laid that one right up. So could have been a little better, but I was like, I'm two strokes in the cash. I'm not <laughs> ruining this. And it was funny. This was the best 
uh, putting tournament that I've had maybe top five in my career. I made every inside the circle putt. I landed just inside the circle, probably like 10 or 15 times. So it was a good putting weekend. And on the last hole, I'm like in the fairway and I throw the hyzer and, uh, I'm like, that's going to be circles edge. I was literally hoping it was outside the circle so I could just lay it up. Cause I'm like, I'm going to have to run it if it's in the circle <laughs> with my hundred percent, um, C one stats or whatever. But luckily I was just outside. I gave it a little bit, but nothing crazy. And mm-hmm. I ended up, um, getting 35th place. So it's actually solid for me. And it's a tough, it's also tough because I'm like, you know, I still have the mindset of like, I want to win every tournament. I want to go for every thought and all that stuff. But the last few weeks I've been kind of taking a step back and, and realizing you have to build, build to that with, you know, some solid finishes and cashing on the tour is solid, Big. you know, mm-hmm. and that, and that's something that like, I'm not used to and not used to saying, um, I've been pretty vocal about like, no, I run everything. I want to, you know, have my best possible finish. And I've been trying to like be open-minded about it and realize like how good the tour is now. And that Mm -hmm. making the cut and getting a little cash is so much better than not. (laughs) And, uh, and yeah. And so like, the difference between 35th and 25th exactly isn't that it's not that big, but the difference between last cash and not cash is really big. It really mm-hmm. is. And we'll get into some more stats that I came up with. I asked that Mando to give us some stats about like the tour, because we mentioned last week that we wanted to update people on where like the standings were for the tour championships and touring cards and different things like that. But we'll wait till after this discussion to get into that. How did your week go? You know, going into this tournament, I have to say this was the most confident I've been at winning. Like there's definitely been some tournaments where I was like, man, if I have a good week, I, you know, I could contend, I could maybe win. But this was the first time that I really felt that going into it, I was like, I have a really good chance at winning this tournament. And to see kind of, and and maybe I was a little bit too overly confident. Maybe I put a little bit too much pressure on myself to where, you know, I would make a mistake because really how my rounds went is I would have great holes and I would have terrible holes. I ended up taking one quad, two triples, two doubles. And then I think one bogey is what I had. Uh, I played hole 13, eight over par. I played hole one, three over par. And, you know, I ended up shooting five under for the inter- for the entire tournament. I was getting lots of birdies out there. Uh, I didn't really putt the disc that well, but I was still throwing so well off the tee. It's just I had a couple of really bad shots. You know, hole 13, final day, I clipped the trees on the right, go OB. I clipped the trees again on the right, go OB. And, you know, I throw my upshot, I throw my tee shot again and and now I have a putt for, you know, triple and I miss and I get a quad. So it's, it's one of those, it's a, it was a weird one for me because I felt like my forehand had never been better. I ended up birding a hole two, two of the three rounds. I threw inside the circle, all three rounds on hole three, and I got hole four, two of the three rounds as well, all sidearms. 
And my, it, it just felt really good. It felt like I could really attack. And there was a couple holes that just really, really stumped me. And I just played poorly on and, you know, you were talking about the margins being so thin. Um, you know, I can look back and, and see, you know, how I did at DDO last year when we were playing in 40 mile per hour wins. It's kind of crazy to look at my scores last year in 40 mile per hour wins and my scores this year, they're not that much different, you know? And that's, yeah. that's kind of the sad. The sad thing is like my, my overall score is about the same and the wind was really, really down in Emporia. This, it was really good scoring conditions. So to me, it's, it's eliminating, it's eliminating big mistakes, eliminating compounding compounding mistakes. But I, again, I guess you could leave. Cause you know, I ended up missing cash was never really close to even getting in the equation for cashing, but you can take that tournament and leave and be like, man, I'm, I'm way, I'm like not playing well right now. Or you can take it away and look at the bright spots and be like, all right, you have a 400 foot hyzer forehand. Now you have a good jump putt from inside of 60 feet. You're able to throw your back, your, you know, your backhand and, uh, power shots are pretty decent. My upshots were getting better. Like there are positives to, to take away from last week. And that's what I'm kind of doing going into this week. But I, I gotta tell you, I got humbled a little bit because I was so confident going into this tournament and I just got slapped up and down. And I think I just let that get to me. You know, this is a, this, yeah. this is a course, the way the course is set up, you can't make mistakes. Like you can't take numbers out there. It is a, all gas, no brakes type of course. And we'll get into that a little bit. And, uh, you know, every time I felt like I missed a birdie putt or I took a bogey because of a dumb error or I took a triple, um, it, it just hurts so much more. So that's well, kind of where it's I'm getting at. To the, yeah. And it's getting to the point on tour where it's never been like this and to where you can be playing. And if you take a triple bogey, you, you're not going to win. You know, it's a, it's going to be a very rare thing for you to even get like a top 10, like a triple bogeys, three shots, four shots normally with how other people play. And four shots is a big spread these days is a big, huge spread. So, you know, it's like traditional golf. There's crazy stats to where like, if somebody has a triple bogey, they don't even, they're not going to win the tournament statistically. Like it's almost impossible for a lot of tournaments. And sometimes, you know, there's anomalies with that but that just tells you how the game's evolving and how many good players there are to where people are taking advantage of the, of those. There's going to be 20 people who gain four strokes on you in one hole. You can't have that. I started one of my rounds. OB right. Then I threw from like the sidewalk over there. OB left. Then I threw, I was 450 feet away through a power hyzer. Uh, wasn't enough hyzer out of my hand. It flipped up to flat. It went like 200 feet long past the basket, like past the road. So I went OB again. I, I started, I started my final round throwing my first three shots out of bounds. So very, <laughs> very hard to like, but then I ended up birding like the next like four holes or something. So like, it was one of those where I was, I was proud of like, I didn't give up. Right. You know, I didn't just like yeah. put it in the town and be like, Oh man, this sucks. 
I got a lot of birdies all three rounds, got a lot of birdies. But like I said, those big, those big numbers, I got to try to figure out a way of like getting rid of those. And then we'll be talking. So, right. All right. Enough about us. Let's get into what went down on the leaderboard. Talk about some of the big storylines. So looking at MPO first, uh, we have Parker Welk, who will be joining us here at the top of the hour, taking it down, shooting 31 under par, very consistent, 57, 58, 55. I don't know. I, was it the final day that was a little windier? There was one day that had it a was. little bit more wind. Okay. Final day. Yep. But, it, it, you know, the first two days, it was like five you know, five to nine. And then maybe the final day got up to 15 at times, but it was definitely not the the usual win that we see in Emporia. That's why I think scores were as good as they were, because I do think some of the changes with the course made the course actually harder than easier for the most part. But when the wind is down, that course just really doesn't have any sort of defense and people are just attacking it left and right. We see Calvin back on the podium, finishing in second, uh, Evan Smith, man, Evan Smith has been sneaky, uh, sneaky up there the last couple of tournaments. So good. Another good finish from him tying third with Matteo and Alden Harris. Let's uh, let's quickly. I want to kind of talk about Calvin a little bit because obviously we'll, we'll kind of talk about Parker once he gets on here, but, but Calvin, he missed a couple really like crucial putts in that final round, you know, hole one, kind of a nervy putt didn't really get this normal pop goes cage and then hole 14, which was really like the, in my opinion, where the tournament just got flipped upside down three shot swing between Parker and Calvin Parker jams, like a, what would you call that? 50 feet from the top of the Hill. Yeah, that's about right. Yep. Jams a 50 footer for Eagle. Then Calvin had, couldn't have been more than 25 feet for birdie. Another yeah, one. Inside just that. The 20, 22, something like that clanks it off the basket. Three shot swing right there. Uh, Parker ends up taking a one shot lead. Is this any sort of worrisome? Should we have any sort of worries with Calvin? He did have a bad putting tournament, uh, or I guess one, one of the rounds in Portland, he putted really poorly. Is this something that we should be concerning with ourselves looking forward? Or is this just another kind of, you know, just had an off day, missed a couple kind of gimme putts. Uh, but obviously being the only one that really was able to con- contend against Parker that day. Yeah. I mean, he lost by a stroke, so it wasn't like, uh, you know, he got blown away and he was just doinking all kinds of putts. He made some good ones the final round. And I really think the pressure that Parker put on him down the stretch is the reason for, for those putts. I mean, that's what happens. I think it's a dip- different atmosphere, especially with Parker, because nobody knows what his game is or what he's like. And then all of a sudden this no name is on the lead card and obviously playing better than everybody. And at that point you're waiting for him to make the rookie mistake. Mm. And then he jams an Eagle in your eye and you're like, you know, you're kind of flipped, flipped around. I, I, I believe that if it was Ricky in Parker's place and Ricky makes that putt, Calvin has no problem with it. But I think because of the situation and the way that it was happening I think, I really do think it kind of got under Calvin's Calvin's skin and and it's a situation that he never had to deal with before. 
that's what I believe by watching it. Yeah. It's an interesting point of just like, it's a different story having, you know, a top player going toe to toe against you and then having like an underdog type of player where everyone's expecting you to beat them. Um, and, and it, it just never happened. Right. Right. Like Parker just never, he makes that big mistake on 13. We talked about like, that's a really, that T shot. I wish there was a way and we'll get into this a little bit, but some of these holes, it's very hard to kind of show like the trouble and that T shot on 13 is a nervy T shot and he clips the trees, goes OB advances, and then, you know, gets up and down from there to take bogey. But I'm sure Calvin in his head is like, okay, here it is. Here's the chink in the armor. I just got a stroke on him. And then Calvin throws into the tree on 14 goes OB terrible reaction, very unlucky, but to still make bogey there. And then you see, you know, Parker go sidearm, sidearm Eagle. I agree with you. I think if it was a cow, if it was a Ricky, if it was Paul, if it was Eagle, it might be a little bit different than having this kind of, you know, up and comer, if you will, just playing lights out. Well, put yourself in this situation, smaller tournament that you like a B tier, you, you go play and you're the highest rated player, highest ranked player in the tournament. And you you're playing against this guy who's just playing lights out, who you've never heard before, um, doesn't have any wins. And obviously they have like the lead card jitters, but they're birdie and you're like, it's okay. A matter of time. And I will get the lead. And this is the way I've seen this story, you know, and then you get the lead. And all of a sudden the guy has an Eagle putt and you're like, there's no way this guy makes it right. He makes it. And then now you're stuck with the 20 footer and you're like, what just happened? You know? And I think the tournament was, was one on 17. Honestly, Mm. I, all that stuff is, is whatever. But then do that drive on 17 that Calvin had, that's his like bread and butter low ceiling put that was like the moment you know push it way down the fairway past parker parker then has to have that crazy shot underneath the tree branches or whatever and the pressure's flipped but because he threw it in the in the dirt you know it takes birdie completely out of play mm-hmm. and then uh parker throws that great shot to two feet that's when i was like oh this is it this is it you know what i mean mm-hmm. he's that's when it, he kind of put the stamp on it and it was just I don't think people talk about momentum as much as we should. And I was talking about this on Jomez when we were doing the coverage that if you can make some putts outside the circle and get the crowd on your side, the momentum in sports, when the crowd is rooting for you, cause you're doing something special compared to where you're just boring playing, like getting birdies. Oh yeah. Rick, like when Ricky makes a 40 footer, it's exciting, but he has to make it from 80 to get the crowd on the side, you know, mm. because they're so used to it. Parker, he starts making them from like 40 feet and his reaction is the same as the crowd. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing. You know, yeah. like this is crazy. I just made it again type thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's in, in sports. I feel like is highly underrated and we don't talk about it as much in disc golf is getting the crowd on your side to where, that little extra adrenaline and momentum gives you confidence of like, Oh, maybe it is my weekend type thing. Yeah. And the confidence too, you know, him starting off the way he did that final round, I think also helped. Um, 
it, it would be interesting to to kind of see what happens if it was like windier and, and more difficult, right? But the way the course is set up, like you have to go out there and get birdies, especially on the front nine, and he did. So uh, we'll get more into Parker, obviously, when he gets on here. Another person, you know, uh, well, a couple more names I want to throw down on the leaderboard. Ricky Wysocki, you know, comes back, tries to defend. Obviously, he didn't win Worlds at Emporia, but we also played Jones. Um, comes back to try to defend DDO at just Emporia Country Club, which he has played really, really well. Doesn't get it done, but still has a good showing. You know, sixth place, six shots off the lead. Still a good showing, and you know it's what we've been always saying. It's it's not what it used to be. You know, it's you can't take these guys and just you know outside of maybe Calvin. There's not really a sure bet of just top three, top five. No. It's it is tough. Uh, he ends up tying with Ezra Robinson, who has a great finish, and then you've got Benjamin Callaway, Mason Mar- March Banks, Emerson Keith, and Joel Freeman all finishing out the top. 10 Emerson, a couple good finishes for him this season. Same with Mason Marchbanks. Not a lot of people know him. Um, kind of up and coming kid from just South of Dallas plays a lot of local events in the Dallas area. I played against him at some local events, really solid game. And, you know, he was, he was kind of clicking on all cylinders this week as well, shooting well out there. So good to see. And a couple other stories I want, or a couple other names I want to throw out there. Silas Schultz, man. Let me just tell you about this. Not a lot of people, I don't think we're talking about him in the final round. I, I mentioned that Aaron Gossage, I think, is the best player right now, T to green. I think Silas has an argument that he might be the best off the tee. This was his final round. 83% circle one. 94% circle two. He only missed hole three which is, you know, 466 downhill. It's, it's one of the tougher holes to get. He ends up missing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight putts inside a circle one. Shoots, oh, are you kidding shoots, me? Shoots six under, misses eight putts inside a circle one, shoots six under, uh, misses two, the only two circle putts. You know, he missed, he only missed circle two once, made, it's circle two twice missed both of those. And then other than that, he was in circle one or parked and ended up missing eight putts shooting six under what? Like he, I mean, he could have had a new, I've never seen that. Yeah. I've never seen a stat like that. Ridiculous. So, um, someone to look out for, obviously he had a really good finish in champions cup, which is another course where, you know, you kind of have to make sure you're getting off the tee really well there. So his game what was the, what was the week after champions cup? He also had a good finish, I believe. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's, he's played really well this season. Like he's, he's yeah. turning, he, he throws the disc really well. He's just kind of got to figure out his putting a little bit. Uh, Chris Dickerson comes back. We haven't seen him obviously didn't go to the West coast at all. Comes back with a seven, tied 17th shooting 20 under. Um, I don't really, if there's no, if there's really like any notable names that like missed the cut, you know, yeah, know, there is. It's not really. A big I mean, Gannon one. Burr is is that the one? Gannon Burr yeah. shoots seventy two. Shoots a seventy two final round five over to miss the cut by two shots. Yeah, I mean, you. I mean, th- there's a lot of good players though. I mean, Garrett Gerthy, Chris Clemens, Mason Ford, Nico. 
Um, Andrew Marweed. I, I could see how Gannon obviously is probably the, the top one out of there. Adam, Adam Hammy's coming off of his Portland win misses the cut. I, I mean, it's, you don't have a good week. You miss the cut. It is what it yeah. is. Um, Gannon, I think would be the surprising one there. Not sure what happened. I know Ezra played with him the final round and was saying that he just wasn't able to really control his disc off the tee. And of well, course, he was like, like that, in the top 10 after the first round. And he missed mm-hmm. the cut. Yeah. Of course, like that though, if you can't control your disc off the tee, you're, you're going to just accumulate strokes in a hurry, in a yeah. hurry. Seriously. Um, all right. Uh, an- oh, another last person, Tristan Tanner. Uh, did he end up making cash? He did. He did, right? Okay, yeah. Almost on the number, actually. Shoots a uh, course record, 12 under out there. Ends up getting two pars, two bogeys, 14 birdies for 12 under. Wow. Crazy yeah, round. Crazy, crazy round. He also, if you remember worlds last year, he was in the B pool. So we all played Jones first in the A pool. He played in the B pool. He also set the course record the first round and was like in the lead or like a lead card or yeah. something after the B pool. So he's, he he's, uh, at worlds. he's played really, really well at, at country club. Like that's a course that he has plays really, really well at. And man, that's a crazy round 12 under. Um, all right. A uh, couple other stats here, Parker Welk. We've got lowest ranked player to win an elite major elite or major since 2005. So he joins a list of Christian Dietrich, which I think we saw him out playing the zoo town open Josh mm-hmm. Anton Colton Montgomery when he won Waco. And then we have Connor O'Reilly when he took down Delaware in 2021. He was 72nd was where he ranked in the stat. Man, I think this is a stat Mando ranking 72nd in the world, which to me seems a little bit better. I know uh, there's a disc one where he's like a hundred and something, something. I, I think this one's a little bit closer. Uh, I think he was 112 in disc, and then he jumped up 30 to 39. I think that's a little yeah. ridiculous. I don't think he was 112, but right. um, the other crazy stat for him, he, he was at, Averaging 51st, like for 51st place was his average place at elite events this season. So it's not like he was, you know, it wasn't like he was popping off at events and it's like, when is he going to get one? When is he going to get one? And and we're going to talk about, I, I, that's a question I have for him. Like how, how, how does that work? Like going from a season where it's like, you haven't really had the greatest start of your season. How did you have that confidence going into that final round? Like, Oh no, I'm, I deserve to be here. This year, it's been happening all the time, though. We have Emerson winning. Same kind of deal. Not, yeah, but not Emerson, playing well. Emerson almost won Worlds that one year. You know, like, there sure. are, he, has, he has a little bit more experience in the back of where it's like, I've done this before. I've been in this situation. Parker, to me, just seems like a crazy one because, I mean, that was the first time he's ever been filmed, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's, that's nutty. Um, anyone else you want to? Talk about MPO. Anything else on the DDO side worth mentioning? No, I was going to mention that DDO is a crazy place because I forgot what year it was, but it was a year that uh, 2015 when Macbeth was like pretty much unbeatable the whole season. 
he got beat by three people or something the whole year at elite series. And one of them was cam Todd at the, at the DDO glass blown open at the time. And cam hmm. Todd, I asked that Mando what cam Todd was ranked and he was ranked 40th, which I mean, it was a pretty high ranking for him yeah. back then. And he was like, you know, 40 something when he won. So DDO kind of has a history of, putting out underdogs little little like waco too right like waco always always has some interesting uh interesting champions all right let's let's switch over to fpo real quick we have Haley king taking it down shooting 19 under uh, um going into a playoff with holland and really ultimately just having a solid, solid game. She didn't start off too great shooting 67 in the first round, but followed it up with two sixty twos in round two and round three and really didn't look like she was out of control at any time. Um, she's looking like she's having fun on the course and with Haley, it's always just seemed like more on the mental side of things. If she can, if she can get her mind right and stay committed it's like her game backhand forehand, her putt, it, she has such a solid game. And uh, if she's able just to kind of stay composed she, to me, she's always seemed like that player of like, she has such a high ceiling. Yep. Now we definitely talked about her a lot on, you know, this podcast and I totally agree. I I'm surprised when she's not in the top four every single yeah. weekend. I'm so surprised. And and mainly for me, it's because of the putt. The putt looks so good. Gosh. <laughs> it really does. Like it it to me, her putt visually is the best putt in the FPO division. Even mm-hmm. even for me above um Tatar because of the length and the effortless length that she can do it from. I mean, it looks right now Tatar's making everything, it seems like. But I don't know, just the motion. It just looks like it has a little more power and a little more like integrity. Yep. Uh, again, we'll kind of get a little bit more into Haley, her final round, all that when she comes on with us later, Holland Hanley, man, she is starting to, I mean, you got to think that she is starting to be like, when is it going to be my freaking time? She's been yep. so close. It seems like at so many events this year, and the interesting thing about this tournament is it didn't seem like it was the sit back. Let me play safe. Let me wait for someone to make a mistake. That's what it always kind of feels like, especially when like when Kristen's got a couple shots, uh, a lead, you know, two or three shots lead in the final round. She just plays kind of safe. She's like, I know the other, the other people in the field, they're going to press, they're going to three putt. They're going to throw a B. I can kind of sit back. That would, that was not the case here. I mean, Haley and Haley and Holland were going toe to toe. This is the, the entire final round. And there was no, sitting back waiting for the other person to make a mistake. Um, I mean, you can just look at the, the final hole Holland literally Eagles, the final hole to push it to a playoff. I mean, yep. it, it was, it was who wants it more, not a, who's going to make, who's, who's going to crack. And to me, that's so much more, more fun watching disc golf, 
not seeing like someone like miss a putt from 20 feet and you're like, Oh no, like we're seeing good disc golf. And I think we saw a lot of good disc golf from a lot of different players, this tournament, and it just made it for a a way more exciting finish to me. Uh, that's what I like seeing. Um, the other, the other, uh, notable names at top, obviously Ella Hansen, whenever you put her on a, on a course that requires distance and length, or at least, uh, gives them more of an advantage. We're going to see her kind of towards the top of those leaderboards. the majority of the time she finishes in third, um, almost, I, I think too, she, she might've thought maybe she had an outside chance with Eagling whole 18, um, to maybe sneak into a playoff. Uh, but it just didn't happen. Yeah. Kristen Tatar. So you, you actually mentioned that, you know, her putting has been so good. Something that kind of jumped out at me. We were talking with her last week. She kind of mentioned that she like, doesn't really practice putting. Like she just puts on the course. And if she feels like something is wrong, maybe in the week, she'll go and practice. And if you remember too, like Isaac Robinson kind of said the same thing when we asked him about like, how often do you putt? And he was just kind of like, I don't now with Isaac, I will call him out. I did see him at the end of one of the Portland rounds grinding on the putting green. So I don't know. I don't know if he was downplaying how much he practices putts, uh, but he definitely does practice. But with, with Kristen, she ends up missing 10 putts inside of circle one Mm -hmm. for the tournament. You know, she, she, she misses out on the playoff by three strokes. It makes you wonder, like, is that, is that maybe something that she will, you know, cause she's, she does seem like a very internalizes things really well. Is that something you think she's going to like, think about like, man, maybe putting is something I need to spend a little bit more time on. Just make sure my stroke is good. I mean, I don't think so. I think she's got, you know, it locked in and, uh, people have bad weekends. I mean, that's what it comes down to. I think it was just an off weekend. It's not like it's the first time she's lost this year. And uh, it just was one of those weekends. I mean, she was three strokes out of the lead, missing 10 in the circle. So the, you know, the rest of the field needs to take advantage of that. And they did. Yeah. I think uh, Ella tweeted out saying that her biggest accomplishment this weekend was, it was the first time she ever beat Kristen Tatar in a tournament. So, uh, you know, it's when you have people tweeting out like that didn't win the tournament that they're just excited beating you. That I think it kind of shows how dominant you've been. Right. But the other thing is, is I think she was never in the lead. I think she might've been like tied or, or one up during the round, but after the, after every round, she was never in the lead. And that's something that I mentioned, you know, um, in previous podcasts is that's the one thing I'm waiting for her to, her to do, because I feel like if she, she can, did at Waco, but that yep, was, but that was more the she players ahead. Of, she didn't well, that was know. Also, that was also more the players ahead of her also fell back. Like she didn't, well, she didn't and, go out and get it. And she didn't even know it was for the win. No, it's true. No, you're and right. so that's, and that's my, that's kind of my point is if she can become, you know, like that, that level of when Macbeth was on the second card, it didn't matter. You knew he was going to win anyway. If she can get to that next level, the FPO field has a way bigger problem than they could ever imagine. 
because missing 10 putts mm -hmm. in the circle, all those things, the only weak spot that I've seen, it's not the putting, it's not the driving, it's not the mental and nothing. It is, so far she's had a tough time coming back for, for the win. She's a great mm -hmm. front runner, but that would be my only knock. And eventually she will do it, and I, I do believe she will level up to that spot. So, I mean, that yeah. field needs to definitely take advantage of it while they can. After get round... Get out, yeah, go go um, pedal to the metal first round. Get the lead. That's yep. your only chance. She was two shots behind Holland after round one, one shot behind Ella, and tied with Missy after round one. Um, and Haley, Haley was actually two shots behind Kristen after round one, but ended up obviously shooting 62-62, which I believe was the low score of the tournament. So she is like backed up two in a row. Um, a couple of things. Valerie Mandahano. Back in the field. Good to see her back out there. She has always been someone that when she was kind of, you know, that big win that she had at Waco, she's had a couple other great finishes, but she, her game is one of those where her putting is really good. She has a really, really solid backhand, has a great uh, backhand turnover shot as well, you know, because her forehand isn't maybe as dominant or as, uh, you know, as good, I guess you could say, as Polish, some of the other. Yeah. Yeah, polish as some of the other FPO players. But very excited to see her getting back in the action. Didn't have the weekend that obviously I think she was looking for. She finishes in a tie for 18. Actually ties her sister Alexis at plus one. So pretty far off the lead. But getting back into the swing of things, hopefully, you know, the ankle kind of holds up. She did. I didn't even know what ended up, like what her actual injury was. But she tore two ankle ligaments two ligaments in her ankle um, earlier this year. So we'll kind of see, look at that, see how that goes forward. I would love to kind of get her back in the mix. Cause I think she could be another player that can kind of battle for contention here. Um, all right, let's pull up the putt on hole 14. We're not going to talk too much about baskets, but something I do want to mention is I think Aaron Gossage was right he was talking about during the Jomez practice round with you guys, he was talking about the ring and how there's like these bolts to where the baskets designed for when you hit the chains, the ring at the bottom of the basket, like slides up. So that when the yeah. chains go in, the ring slides up when that bolt is on the bottom though, it sometimes catches the ring. And so what ends up happening is, in this putt that you watch right here, it looks like her, her, her disc just hits like a wall. The, the chains don't yeah. really move back at all. It just hits and just like ricochets straight back to me. That's a putt that we need to completely remove from the game. Like that, that, that should not happen. The cut throughs. I think those are going to happen sometimes. Um, you know, high left, high, right. That's fine. But that putt, like you, th that putt is simply because the ring caught the bolt and didn't function the way it's supposed to. Someone can literally walk right behind her, same spot, same putt, and the, the ring doesn't catch the bolt and it, and it goes in. That to me is like, it's tough to see, right? It's tough to see. I don't know if we want to talk about that. If you want to talk about any more with baskets, but... No, I, I mean, I, I have the same take I did before. Listen, middle with hyzer from any distance is no matter what anybody says, 
It's not a place you want to hit it on the basket. Replay that one more time. Normally, okay, she's going to putt it. Okay. She's watching it. She goes down, but she's watching. She doesn't stop watching. And you and I both know why. There's a place on a basket that when you putt it, you're like, oh, please stay in. Am I right about that? If it's on the stripe from that close mm-hmm. with a little hyzer, you know it has a chance to come back to. Do you not? Because I know I do. And you have to watch. And you have to wait a second to be like, okay, is this the time that it comes back to me? And if that is fact. I don't want to jinx myself. I've never seen that happen to myself. So I don't want to jinx myself <laughs> and say like, well, for me, I'm, for I'm me personally, expecting that to happen. I just see people put on the pole in the middle and they wait. And they're like, okay, yeah, it stayed in. Okay, now I can grab my mini. I can move on. But like, I'm saying if that's, if that's the case, if that is a feeling that you get, I don't, get I'm not that saying feeling, it's a, though. no, you don't, but I do. Okay. And I think other people might as well. In fact, I know it's true because they wait. And if that's fact, then it's not a great putt. I'm sorry. It's in the middle, but now let me ask you this. If she hits four inches lower, does it stay in from that? Yes. Close? Yes. Yeah, that, that's I, my point. What if we got, and this is what I was telling Aaron in the practice round. Th- that's my only point is you can't put a putt and be like, please don't spit out. It stays in I agree. and then, and then feel good about that putt because there's no way you were aiming there. There's no I way don't like the I bolt. aim low. I don't like the bolt. No, I hate that. I don't too. like the bolt. I, I, I don't like, like that. The, I don't like the chains. I, here's my thing. I just don't, I want the chains to react the same for everyone. And when the chains are moving around, like the ring at the bottom is moving around because of the wind or whatever. And it just so happens to be in that one spot to where you hit the chains and then it catches the bolt and doesn't actually, you know, to me, that's where it's like, what what are we doing? Why is there a bolt? Why is there, why is that a thing? All right. All right. Pun intended. She totally got screwed. (laughs) But what if, is this even an option? Just hear me out. What if we had a spot on the basket that was five inches like this? And if you hit that spot, any part of it in the middle, it just counts. Like what if there was a spot on the basket that like, if you hit any part of it, it was good. If it stays in, it's good. But if it spits out and you hit that spot, no matter what it counts and like a little red thing on the top goes like, yeah, that's, that, yeah you've been hanging around with Aaron too much. That's what Aaron wants. Aaron wants like the technology really? they use for like fencing where if something oh. gets touched, just a light goes off. And so as long as it's touched, it counts. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think uh, it- we just, we just need to get the bolt fixed. I, I didn't know about the bolt. Now I'm terrified. I didn't know about it. Now I'm terrified. about it. <laughs> How many bounce outs have you had this year? Like straight on the pole out. One. I've had none. I think I've only had one, but I think it was high. It was high to where it's like, 
uh, to me, that could happen. I don't think I, her putt I mean, was like, that high. I don't think her putt was that high. I mean, like, high. in the circle. I see more spit outs from outside the circle than I do see inside the circle. Oh, I agree. Myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I that's agree. because I don't have the speed control. I don't it's get a lot of spit seeing, outs. It's tough seeing that from, like, 15 feet. Oh, but that's the spot that it happens the most is a 15-footer, <laughs> especially at GBL. How many times have we seen that? Straight in, straight out, 15-footer. Uh, How far was it? Gossage. It's, it's so ugly. It. It's like 15 feet. It's so ugly to watch. It's That's so the spot ugly to watch. That it happens. Um, all right. What else we got? FPO, FPO. Uh, Kona Montgomery showed a little bit of life this week. Haven't really, haven't really thrown her name around all too often, but went out and shot 68, 66, kind of put herself in the mix. I believe at a certain point she was top five. Doesn't have a good final round, shoots 77. Uh, ends up having a really poor putting round. Um, 9% C1X. She ends up missing one, two, f- four putts, hole nine. Um three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So misses 10 putts inside a circle. Um, the final round ends up, and also misses all four circle two putting, but through the disc pretty well off the tee, 50% circle one, 61% circle two, but showing a little bit of life, you know, and I, again, you know, she is someone that is going to be in the spotlight with her social media following with their big contract, with them, with dynamic disc flying her in on a helicopter. She is something that people are going to, you know, scroll down the leaderboard. Where did Kona finish? Right. And it was nice to kind of see her in the mix for a little bit. And hopefully, like you said, take that momentum maybe into this week and uh, continue to kind of pushing up. She just needs, I think she just needs a little bit of confidence. She just needs a little bit, you know, one or two good finishes here. Cause 68, 66, like, she was kind of in the mix at the beginning of the tournament. So, um, all right. And that is, I think all we got. Oh, before we move on to other things about the actual event, I do want to say on the FPO side, I think, and this is even for worlds. I think hole 16, I think it's an absolute atrocious hole to pick for a playoff. I think, I think whoever decided hole 16 should be the playoff hole should get a big slap on the booty. Cause I think that is, I don't know what they're thinking. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. Give me, give me hole 18. Give me hole 17. Let's go to the par five hole 14. All these, all these holes aren't that far away. Give me something other than who can execute this one shot. And guess what? Whoever throw like the only, these are the only scenarios. This hole is actually exciting. Ready? Two people. They both throw, they make the Island. They both have like 30 footers. That's going to be exciting. The only other scenario is they both miss the Island. That sucks. Now they're both going to the drop zone. (laughs) Does one person throw in the drop zone? Like that's the only way hole 16 is exciting. One person makes the Island. One person doesn't make the Island. It's over. Now they have to walk all it's to me, bad hole agree or disagree. Yuli. For a playoff. I think bad hole. I do. 
Let's have it be I'll like the third you. hole. Let's have it be the third hole. Let's go 17. Let's go 18. And if it's still tied, then let's go to 16. But don't give me I 16 like, right away. I like 18, then 16, then 18, then 16. Okay, back and forth. That's still fine. I'll I'll, I'll handle that. But, yeah, I don't know. But both – both the the worlds i mean same thing paul paul's had it has it done or has done it twice now worlds in utah against james conrad he had to go with the island hole didn't work out for him then worlds emporia it worked out for him but to me it's just like well i let's get away from these par three island holes playoff like let's get away from that it's a great hole 16. Great hole 16. Terrible playoff hole. Um, all right. I don't know if we want to dig into... I've got a lot to say about the course and the event. So I don't know if we want to jump into that yet because I, I don't really want to... Um, let's go over the standings real quick. I want to get that out of the let's way. Let's do that. Let's, let's do that because yep. that would be good. By the time yeah. we're done with that, Parker will be on here. And then we'll go there. Okay. So what, what, what do you got for us? The, All right. At this I'm point, just we're halfway go, through the season? Halfway through the season? Yep. A little more. Yeah. One tournament more, I think, than halfway through. And so this yep. is going to be the tour um, points uh, standings. Uh, the big one is 32nd place. That's when you get into the tour championships if you Locked haven't in. won. If you've won an elite series, I believe you get a spot in the play-in. Okay. So these people right now, as of right now, are locked in. I'll just go through the first few names and the, how many points they have. Robert Burridge is the last person in right now. He's at 32nd, and he has 224 points. So that's the mark right now, 224 points, and that's using eight tournaments because he's been on tour the whole time. Plus, I believe he's also played at least three silvers. So Silver. that's as many points mm-hmm as you could accumulate to be in last spot. The people on the bubble right now are Garrett Gerthy. He is five points off of that, that mark. Silish Stoltz, Nico Austin Turner, Kevin Kiefer, Brody Smith, Chris Clemens, Eric Oakley, Evan Smith, Parker Welk with a win, only 182 points, 83 points. Drew Gibson, Gavin Rathbone, Luke Sampson, Andrew Marweed. I mean, when you go down this, this list, I'm just naming great players after great players after great players who are not in the tour championships. That's kind of mind blowing. Uh, I will reach out to stat Mando because I wanted to come up with a few statistics that I was curious about. And one of them was a last cash statistic. I was wondering if you took last cash in every single tournament, if you would get your tour card or how many points you would accumulate, right? Last cash on the season would give you 78 points as of right now. That's not a lot of points, but it would get you in as a tour card holder. I also think that if you got last cash at every tournament, it would be the most frustrating year of your entire life. Even though you cash so, every, it would like be bittersweet. So stressful. Be like, It'd be so stressful. <laughs> yeah, it would be like 200, 300, 140, 45, like all the way down the thing that that thought's hilarious to me. Um, but I also thought that that would, uh, by it says by season end in 2022, though, it would have been 85th. So that would be bordering a tour card. 
Mm. Interesting stat. So you have to play better than even catching every single time to get a tour card, essentially, which is a, which is kind of a crazy statistic. You, you uh, the next it's, you want to, I was just gonna say you want to have you know if you are like that mid tier level okay you're not one of the top guys that's consistently finishing you know top twenty if you're that mid tier level I think it behooves you to have like the Parker Welk season where you pop off and and get a win or a top five or a top ten and then miss cash a little bit and then come out right like I think that's better than just. 45th, 44th, 46th, 42nd. Uh, The next one that I I asked him to look up was what would you have to average to get to the tour championships? Like what place? And basically if you took 26th place at every tournament, that would get you in to the tour championships, which was kind of surprising to me. That's I feel like that's about right though. You know, 26. That's good. Yeah. That's a good, that's really consistent goal. I mean, that's probably, uh, that would get you a good amount of cash too. So that, that would be a solid season right there. Cause there are, there are players that, you know, Nate Sexton's a perfect example, probably not going to qualify for the tour championship because he just doesn't Mm -hmm. play enough tournaments. But when he does play in those tournaments, he's stealing points right? Like he's jumping in yeah. there and stealing points away. And yeah, you gotta, you gotta finish pretty high at some of these tournaments to get in. You gotta yeah, have some exactly. good finishes. And then the person that I really thought about and how tough the competition is right now is Adam's a perfect example of winning and then can just completely missing cash by a bunch of strokes. Like it's not, if you win a tournament, you're not guaranteed to have a great season. Like you had a good season because you can say I won an elite series and you get into the plan for the tour championships and everything. But that doesn't necessarily mean that your success, your season was a success. Like if I told you, Hey, you get one win and you miss cash every tournament, would you take that? Or would you take a 10th here, a uh, 50th there, a 70th, a couple top fives, you know what I mean? Would you trade all of that for a win? I would. Yeah. To me, to me, I think the goal is, is winning. And so obviously it's nice to get some top finishes here and there, but if I don't ever win that, that's going to, that's going to really be a hard pill to swallow. Right. So would you trade, would you trade like, imagine that though, imagine grinding the whole year, and let's say you get like your fifth tournament and you win, but then you get 78th every single time after that. I think I, that would be like I would the take m- it. most you would. I don't think I, I would. think I would take it for me. For me, I think if I ever win on tour, it would be, um, it, I mean, it would, it, there would just still be a lot of people. I'm sure there'd be like, you know, reasons that people would come out and be like, Oh, he won because of X, Y, and Z it doesn't really count, but it would, to me, it would be a crazy feat to be able to do that this late, this late in my life, picking up the sport this late, being able to go from one Frisbee throwing sport to another, I would trade a lot to get a W. And I mean, right. that's, that's the only reason I'm, that's literally the only reason I'm on tour is 
is to win. I, what's going to be interesting is what, what my mentality, you know, let's theoretical, uh, hypothetical. Let's say I do win. It's going to be interesting to see what my mentality is, because is it going to be, Holy crap. That was awesome. I let's go do it again. Or is it going to be like, okay, I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. Right. And I, I've, I've been asked this question before. I think it was on another podcast, but how many wins would, you know, I have like a hundred over a hundred PDGA wins. How many would I give up to have a major championship? That, yeah. And it really got, it really got me thinking like, that's my last goal. Like how many would I give up and would I rather have a hundred wins or one major championship? And I would pick the hundred wins, hmm. even though the majors like my last thing, because without those, then what was my career anyway? You know what I mean? It's like a, uh, it's an interesting question that like takes you time, but there is to, a like, number really process. Yeah, there is a number, there is for right? sure. Like, without a doubt. Absolutely. Like, would you do 10 wins or, or a major? Um, like if, you had, would, if you had 10 wins to your name, would you lose all those 10 and take it for a major? I would rather give up the cash. I'd give up every single dollar that I ever made on, on tour to, to win a major, but I don't, yeah. I don't know about the wins. What about all, all like all like your B and C tiers? You have to I give up all your B and C tiers. <laughs> yeah. See, like there's a, there's, I think there's a number for everyone. I think there's a number yeah, for everyone. Of for like sure, what's but important it's definitely- and, Yes, a hundred percent. I think I think it's a great question though. But Parker's waiting waiting in the um let's throw him in. On the sidelines right. here. Let's we have here. we have the winner of the dynamic disc open coming to us live. Parker, I saw you out on the course already grinding for DMC. How's it feeling, man? You've had a couple days to kind of uh you know be with your thoughts, if you will. How, how's it feeling now? Can you believe it? It happened. It, it was crazy, man. Uh, right now I'm kind of feeling like, like I, I can do it again, but it's going to take a lot and it's, uh, it takes a lot of practice. So I've, I've definitely like grinding a little bit more than usual um, to kind of boost myself a little bit here. So you've had that, like you have that taste of how, how good it feels to win. And so now it makes, you know, going out and putting a little bit extra, you know, a little extra putting practice, maybe focus on a few other things. Like it makes it a little bit easier now that you've seen what it feels like to kind of get the W. Yeah. And, and also like kind of what it takes as well. Cause when I was playing, I was just throwing plastic. I was having fun. I was, but it, I was landing in spots where I needed to land and I wasn't really throwing it out of bounds too much. Then when I was, I was saving par or, or birdie and, uh, it's, it, it really came to my attention. Like you just need to really just focus and, and just, just do it instead of like, Oh, la la la, just throw the disc. Yeah. It's a different mentality when you, I think when you're actually in contention, than if you're just kind of out there being like, Oh, I'm playing for 20th or 30th or 40th. Um, all right, before we get into your incredible performance this last weekend at DDO, I did want to ask you a question. So they were talking on the, on the broadcast a little bit about, you know, you're, you're from a Frisbee family. You're, you're, I believe most of your family members play disc golf. You kind of were raised playing disc golf. And is it correct that you're raised in Hawaii? Is that correct? Yeah, I was born and raised in Hawaii. I spent my whole life there kind of growing up with disc golf all around me and, 
uh, for the record, Parker is a disc golf name that my, my parents gave me. I guess it means keeper of the park or something like that, but also oh, pretty sweet shit. disc golf name. Um, and, and yeah, disc golf has kind of just always been around. We've had just baskets in my backyard my whole life, just because my dad has always just loved to play disc golf. He's, he's helped make just a ton of courses out in Hawaii. Um, pretty much all of them on Maui. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been cool. Just all, it, disc golf has kind of always been there for me. So when I went out to Hawaii, I got the chance to play a couple of courses. Curious if you've played these, have you played Lydgate before? I haven't played any of the courses besides the ones on Maui. Okay. Is Princeville on Maui? I can't, I can't no, remember. No, no, no. Princeville is not in Maui. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I got to play those two courses and it, man, it's Hawaii disc golf's awesome because it's yeah. like, you, you can kind of just get lost in the, the scenery around you. It's a different, it's a little bit of a different experience than playing my local courses in Dallas. Yeah. It's, it's super different. It's, it's more of like, like you said, the, the views that bring you in instead of the actual course themselves, because you can kind of just, you play a hole and then you can look and turn around and then you get to see the whole ocean and then like the next Island over. And it's, it's just amazing. It's really pretty. One of the things that makes me feel extra old is, uh, after I won am worlds, we took a cruise out to Hawaii and we stopped at a bunch of islands and one of the guys from Maui calls me up or messages me on Facebook or whatever. He's like, Hey, I want you to really play this course. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. And he drove to the ship, picked me up and took me up and we played disc golf. That's Parker's dad. Parker's dad did that for no me. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Long That's time ago. It. That was 2000. Yeah. 2006. Um, and so I've always, um, had a special place in my heart for your dad because that that's like one of the most friendly things anybody's ever done. I never met the guy, never, ever. And then he just saw through social media that I was coming to um, Hawaii and he drove all the way out there, picked me up from the ship, took me up to the cool, one of the coolest courses, best experiences of my life um, to this day. So then uh, now his son's just beating me every single weekend on the tour. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I went to, uh, have you heard, Parker, have you heard of this, like, barbecue place on, uh, I don't know what island it's on, but it's this guy, he owns, like, a barbecue shop, but he loves disc golf, so he has, like, a disc golf store in his barbecue shop. He hit me up, and I went in, and it was, he was so, everyone that I, I've, I've talked to in Hawaii that's in the disc golf community, they are so excited about just trying to get more people into the game, and uh, I, I actually think Princeville is maybe not now, but in the future would be the all like the perfect location for like the all-star event, because I think they would roll out the red carpet. It would be incredible. The views, everything, the course is awesome. It would be cool to see like a, an event. Do you think that is possible in the future? Like, like having some sort of all-star event or something like that in Hawaii? I think that'd be awesome. And as you know, everyone in Hawaii is, is they're treating you like family. When you go out there, it's, it's really cool to see complete strangers will come up to you and, uh, ask you how your day's going and, and wanting to get to know you just seemingly out of nowhere. So I, I think that would be really, really cool to have, you know, a playoff event or something like that in Hawaii. Cause it's kind of just a destination vacation type deal. Might as well add some disc golf in there. Gotta ask, are you big, big in the surfing? You big surfer? Yeah. I grew up surfing pretty much my whole life. Grew up skating. I've been in the water just forever. It's a lot different than uh, the California water. That's for sure. 
Oh, dude, California water. I, I don't know how people go in there without a wetsuit. It's so freaking cold. <laughs> coming, coming for the Florida boy. You got to stay on the Atlantic side. Um, all right. Let's jump in a little bit more on uh, your season so far. So kind of looking back at, uh, you know, how you performed this season, you know, probably not the season you had hoped for at some of these events. What, uh, you know, if I just tuned into the disc golf network for the first time on Sunday and I'm watching you play, I'm not thinking like, Oh, this guy's like, hasn't really had any good finishes this season. I'm thinking you're like one of the best players, if not the best player in the world. What, uh, like what clicked this week for you to just play kind of, I don't even know if you, if you consider you played out of your mind, like what happened? Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't think that my season's going bad. It's my first time. I can't really be too mad at how I'm doing at all because it's literally my first time, but for um, sure. Going, I, go, I, that wasn't a dis- disrespectful thing. I'm just saying that that was more like looking at your season versus like other people that have won on tour. They don't, they don't match up is what my point was. Is right, like, I'm seeing what you're saying. You were, yeah. You were able to put, put it all together uh, at this tournament. And I'm just curious, like how, like how you felt kind of going into it. Yeah. I mean, I, I took a little break after Portland open. I went home to see my wife. So I was feeling pretty refreshed, um, coming back into this event. And this is one of the courses that I feel really good about. I didn't play it too well last year at worlds only because I wasn't really playing my game. I was trying to emulate someone else's game who I practiced with. And, um, I, I thought that that was the best way to do it, but it, it was not. So, um, I came out to this event and, uh, do you guys know who, uh, Dr. Disrespect is the, the Heck Call yeah. of Duty streamer? Yeah, 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 so, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I actually, uh, I was pumping some of, uh, his, uh, inspirational, like intro videos into my ear as I'm like flexing in the mirror, uh, the morning of the tournament, I was just trying something new, like, Hey, let's see if this gets me going. And man, I was pumped, dude. I was so pumped going into round one. Uh, so I continued that round two and round three and, and it worked out pretty well for me. That's, I think I'm going to keep that up. Keep doing it. That's awesome. The slick daddy, um, shout out to the slick daddy. Uh, <laughs> one thing that was very interesting to me was we've seen players time and time again, they'll have a good round one. And then all of a sudden they're on lead card the next day, or even mid round, they're having a good round and cameras show up and start filming them. And all of a sudden they're like missing putts and whatnot. This was your first time playing on camera, right? On, on live coverage. Um, yeah, it was my first time playing on live coverage. It wasn't my first time on camera. I've played some smaller events with on, on camera before, but nothing in comparison to what this was. But the reality is I think it's, it's a lot easier for me to play on camera. It, it really pumps me up. It hypes me up knowing that like people are watching and, and they want to see me do well. And I get to kind of showcase my skills and, and, and put on a show. You know, you can't really put on a show if, if nobody's watching. Yeah, I, that that is one thing that watching you play, I think you were kind of a uh, um, a breath of fresh air because a lot of times we see players that are very like stoic and just like they make a putt and they're just and you you were getting the crowd pumped. I mean, we'll get a little bit into the not, they're not really being that big of a crowd there, but for the people that were there, you were getting pumped up 
and the amount of motion that you showed on the course, like even when you just would make uh, that part, well, I kind of want to break down some of the holes, but I'm jumping ahead of myself just because I'm getting too excited. But like that birdie putt you made on hole eight after going OB, <laughs> you're just kind of like, you almost do like the Michael Jordan, like shrug a couple times during your round of where you're just like, I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on. And I, to me, like seeing that natural emotion of where it didn't feel like you were trying to put on a face or trying to be someone because you're on coverage. It seemed like you were just naturally yourself is did, is that how you kind of always are during your rounds? You just kind of show that emotion, whether there's cameras there, whether there's a crowd there. Um, well, I was definitely getting myself into positions um, while I was on camera. I was trying to be a lot more aggressive while I was on camera. Um, and kind of, in a way, uh, I definitely am not super like, oh, I'm going to jump through a tree if I hit a putt or I'm not going to, like, you know, swing swing around, do a 360, throw, shrug my shoulders. I'm just going to go get my putt and, and move on if there's no cameras or anything. So there is a little bit of a, a change when there's cameras. I like it. I mean, at the end of the day, we are playing an, a, a sport for entertainment, right? Without uh, the fans, without the actual like people wanting to tune in, our product is absolute trash. And so I just want to say like, keep doing it because I think we need more players on tour that kind of build this, you know, persona about themselves and let it shine when like the lights are the brightest, because to me, that's so much more interesting seeing that than seeing like four people on Lee card that are all just, you know, they make a 60 footer and there's, yep. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Business yeah. as usual. The, yeah, the closest exactly. thing that I've seen, even, even this year, cause you're right. Like watching him play, it was like, I guess the only thing that comes to mind is he was playing so free. You mm. know what I mean? Like it just, it felt like, everything that you were doing, everything was going right. And even you were like, Oh, look at that. Like, look what's happening to me guys. You, you know what I mean? And, and having like a joy about, about the round that you don't really see a lot. You know, when you see Calvin and Paul, like, like Brody's saying it, it's business, you know what I mean? And, and they're locked in because they have to be there. They're doing the thing. And it seemed like to me that you were having a really good time playing in, in the moment, you know what I mean? Which is what golf's all about. And I, the only time this year that I've seen that was with actually Silas at the champions cup, watching mm -hmm. him play and seeing him like when he was making the run on the, on the final day, I think he birdied like eight out of the first nine or something. But the way that they, when they were showing, he was just like, oh, I made another one like type thing. You know what I mean? Comp, um, yeah. Which is a, uh, it's a rare thing to see. All right. So Parker, what, what does this win mean to you? Uh, like how, how has it changed things? How has it changed your life? How has it changed your tour schedule? What does it look like for the next three years? Um, it's, it's completely life-changing. Um, I was going into this on a one year, maybe two year deal because if I didn't get a tour card for next year, I'm not playing next year. I'm I'm going home. I'm being wow. I'm being a, I'm being a husband to to my wife Allie, and so this it, it means the world that now I can be the husband. I can have Allie come out with me, and we have a almost scholarship type feel um, to to play next year. And I think it'd be really cool for her to come out as long as uh, I guess it's kind of a weird situation because she's um, trying to get into PA school and if she gets into PA school, then she'll go do that. But if she uh, doesn't get into PA school, I'm sure she'll come out on the road with me. 
Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, are you doing the van life? What's uh, how you how are you kind of traveling, or what what's the I guess the the plan for next year now that you are kind of locked in with your tour card? Well, this year um, we're pulling a, a truck and trailer. Uh, I'm not sure if you know who Jake Brown is, but he's my mm-hmm. uh, tour partner for this year, and so we've been we've been doing really well together on on just pretty much every every level. It's it's been really really fun. But going into next year, I don't really have a plan. Uh, there's nothing picked out for me. There's no van or anything like that. But I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, I'd be open to Airbnbs to you know getting a van, just getting it done. Honestly, whatever whatever it takes. Yeah, and now's honestly, the, exciting, that, the exciting part to kind of figure that all out. And ha- having a win on tour, that's a nice little. Uh, what do you call it? Little treat to dangle in front of all the sponsors too. You know what I mean? which can be big for next year uh, to see like what kind of, you know, new contracts you can get with, with that, because that is a big piece. Winning is uh winning's everything in this sport, not everything, but it's pretty, it's at the highest of the totem pole for sure. And, and obviously I'm sure you're going to, you know, I don't know how big you are on the social media is like how much you are looking at what people are saying and all that stuff. And I'm sure there is maybe going to be some people being like, well, you know, this was like a fluke win and we're never going to, Watching watching you play that final round, your game leads to being successful at a lot of tournaments on tour. The the way the way you play disc golf and the way you played that final round, it wasn't like you were hitting trees and like ricocheting back and bounds and Calvin was like, you know, had food poisoning and couldn't throw a shot. Like you went out <laughs> and won that. You went out and won that thing. And uh, we'll get into kind of some of these holes. I have one more question though, before we get into your final round, uh, mom on the bag. What, what's the deal there? How, what, what was, uh, is that first time this season that, you know, your mom came out and, and, caddied for you yeah so um it was it was pretty cool i missed portland uh the portland open cut by one or two and i booked a flight home that night to go see my wife and uh so i went home got that nice refreshing break like i said and i called my mom and i was like hey um can you come pick me up you want to fly to kansas city and then get a rental car and drive uh drive and hang out the tournament with me Cause I didn't want Jake to drive the two hours from Emporia all the way to Kansas city to come pick me up and then all the way back. And that would be a mess. Um, but I have some family here in Iola, Kansas as well, which is about, uh, you know, an, an hour and 20 minutes, I think, uh, South of Emporia. So my mom was just like, yeah, sure. I'll get it done. And, uh, she, uh, she was super excited that I invited her cause, um, she lives in Nevada now. So it's we're we don't really see each other too often anymore. But when we do, it's always a, a ton of fun. And I was uh, happy that she decided to come out. And she did such a good job on my back. She never complained. Uh, she That's a long course, too. Uh, and it's hot. And she did such a great job. How many what, times what? has she seen you? Sorry, Brody. Oh, go. Yeah, like, yeah, that's good. How, how, many, how many times has she, like, been there live to watch you play? Um, are you talking on the Pro Tour specifically? Sure. Like a big tournament, like a big, uh, big tournament. Was this like the first time watching you? Cause that'd be funny if she just like comes in, she's like, okay, I'll come caddy for you. You know, you're playing this game or whatever. And then, you know, you make lead card and you win. And, uh, you know, as a mom, I'm sure she's like, of course, that's my boy, you know, type thing. Or, <laughs> no, or what was that let like? Me, let me stop you there. Okay. You can't disrespect the mama, man. She's a, she's a state champion in Hawaii. Let's she's go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
So yeah, did you lean on her at all during the during the final like the, especially during the final round? Like were you guys kind of talking through shots at all? Yeah. Um she she did a great job at not responding to me. I didn't want her to respond. I kind of just wanted to use her as like a like a I, like talk her through my shot real quick after I threw it like, oh that that was like that was really good, or okay, I just threw that out of bounds, or okay, I just lost the tournament, and then she would just like stay quiet and and I think that helped me a lot instead of like replying and saying like, no man, you, you, you got it Parker. And then I'll just get mad at that or something <laughs> like, no, no, I just lost. You don't understand. Uh, but it was, it was, it was great having her there. That's awesome. That's very, did that change your mind maybe in the future of like finding local caddies and stuff, you know, or, or I, mean, I, dude, you- I, I, I love, uh, I'd love to have a caddy at like every event, uh, carrying that bag is no fun. We all know it. Um, but not maybe now that I, I want a tournament, people hit me up about carrying the bag. I'm always down. Oh, I don't, I don't think you're going to find a problem. Yeah. It's just, sometimes you might have someone that, that wants to talk to you about everything and be like, Hey man, what disc are you about to throw here? So you might have to do a little bit like, Hey, this is like you did with your mom of like, Hey, I just want you to listen to what I have to say. I don't, I don't actually want to hear you. But I'm sure you will have thought about that. Yeah. I'm sure you'll have no problem if you, uh, you know, especially if you just like hit up kind of some of the local scenes or just, you know, make a post on Instagram and stuff. I'm sure people would love to, especially after watching you play. Come on, man. I'm sure people are going to be wanting to fist pump and stuff when you make a huge putt. So, um, all right, let's jump into your final round because it was, man, it was a crazy final round. you you, you start off the final round seven under through nine. This is a course that the front nine is like a massive scoring. Like, you know, you have to get out hot and get out early and score. Um, I also, I think you only threw two loose shots, the entire front nine. You had hole two. You were kind of pinched a little bit on the right, kind of threw a loose approach shot. And then hole seven, your um, upshot after a, you smashed the drive into a great spot, you kind of threw your upshot, kind of fluffed it out to the right a little bit, but cashed the putt. Uh, other than that, your front nine, my goodness, dude, like, were you, how, how was that going out there and just like executing shot after shot? Well, I don't, well, did you watch any of the coverage, Brody? Yeah, I watched the entire, I watched the entire uh, well, what final about nine. The, what about the loose shot on eight? Oh. Uh, no, I haven't got, I haven't gotten to there yet. I was just going, okay. I, hole okay. eight's the first hole. Well, I have yeah. one hole to go through, but, uh, well, let, let's just go to this. Why the backhand on hole five? That surprised me when I, mm. I saw you line up the backhand. I went, you know, hole two, forehand, forehand, hole three, forehand, hole four, forehand. When I got to hole five, I was like, I'm just going to blast another forehand. I was surprised that with your distance, you didn't go forehand there. Hole five, you're talking about like you kind of shoot down and then and then up the hill through yeah, the trees. Yeah, par, par four, kind of skinny. Yeah, um, you know I like that forehand play, but that sidewalk on the right side, uh, it, it like swoops in, and if you go mm-hmm. like any short or if you saw it off at all, then you're out of bounds. And I I knew if you just keep it in bounds on that hole, you're probably going to get a birdie if you, uh, you know, just miss the trees in your upshot. So just want to keep it in bounds. Okay. So you don't, you don't really step up to holes then thinking like, how do I throw a forehand here? You're, you're willing to throw what you think is the best throw forehand or backhand. Yeah. I mean, I, I got pretty much 
the same angle, the same. I'm I'm basically a lefty and a righty at the same time when it comes to it because I, I got the same distance, the same angles, the same control. It, it's it's just kind of dealer's choice on every hole for me. It's nice to have. Um, all right, so let's go into hole eight because this was one of the the craziest holes I think I've seen in the final round. For those that don't know, hole eight is like the thousand plus par five. Um, it's we're up high. And we're throwing down into a very skinny kind of landing zone. And you decide to go forehand off the tee here. Walk me through the decision there. Um, cameras are on me. Crowd's pumped. I'm going for that eagle. Uh, <laughs> I, I got it there in two second rounds. Oh, wait, no. Did I? Yeah, I got it, got it in two second rounds. My second shot, I sawed off on the second round, though. And I only got it to like 40 feet short or something like that. Um, but, but I, I can get there in two, no problem. And so I wanted to do that every round, but I had like a little bit of a head when I thought my disc was going to flip over just a little bit and it did, but it, it just wasn't pushing left at all. It just kind of stayed straight and then straight out of bounds. So you, okay. So you coming up to that, you know, you kind of went OB late in the flight. So you're, you're still really far up there. You're, you're going for that in your head already whether you're inbounds or not, you, that was the play from the get go. Yeah. I'm taking a par in that hole at worst. Um, no matter what I do, because if I go out of bounds off the tee, I'm going to be so far up there. I'm going to have a putt for birdie most likely, but if not, then I'm just throwing a 130 foot up shot to, to get a par. I was wondering cause that the, the backhand off the tee, which I think you see from almost 99% of the players that play, the scary thing with the, the, the backhand trying to go for distance is your OB, the majority of the flight. And if it never comes back in, you have to take it so far back with that forehand, you're in bounds for the majority of the flight. And then, you know, whether you stay in or go out, maybe that's actually, honestly, probably the smarter play. If you are trying to go for the Eagle there, um, just like you said, like par at worst, cause you're so far up there. I don't think, and Yuli, you correct me if you're wrong, Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Jomez, I don't know about live, but I don't think Jomez did a good good job of showing how difficult that second shot he had was. I think it, it's tough too because it's like it is it is a weird like undulation and I don't know where you need to get the cameras right, but that shot right there, Parker, and, and you might just think, oh, that's just a normal standard hyzer forehand, 500 feet, no big deal. That shot, you are having to push it over OB, over the water, left of these two trees that are in the fairway, and then you're having to cut it in on a tree that is OB, that if you clip that tree at all, it's going to drop and be OB. I mean, that was... When you threw that shot, was that when you execute that? Was that just like another day at the office, or were you like, "Holy crap, I'm going to freaking win this tournament"? No, I, I was definitely not thinking I was going to be winning that tournament during that shot. That was just like that Standard. was the shot I was going for, and I executed it, and I was stoked that <laughs> I executed it, and then I wasn't out of bounds. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. You that that's a crazy shot, right, Yuli? I'm not just like over exaggerating here. No, it, it, it's definitely a crazy shot, but it sounds like the way he's talking about it, that it's a shot that he's able to execute like fairly easy, you know, like imagine you being there and being, and then having a backhand hyzer into that spot, you know, it's not that difficult. And I think that's kind of what he's telling us is, Hey, I got that I shot guess. both ways. And it's like kind of a go-to, which in, if that's the case, why is this your first win? 
<laughs> yeah, just 500 sidearm lacing yeah. it through these trees. Yeah. Final round yeah. of an elite event. Um, yeah, that okay, that was nuts. Uh, all right. So after uh, after nine, because you guys all end up kind of par. I believe you all end up parring. I think Alden might have taken a bogey or double. But after nine, you Alden and Calvin at this point have separated yourself from the field. You guys are all twenty six under. I think next is Matteo at twenty three under. Uh, like I said, you you had those three loose shots. Other than that, pretty flawless front nine. Are you looking at scores at this point? Are you? Do you know where you're at? Um, we all, we all parred hole nine. And then the first time I looked at scores was on hole 10, right after Alden hit the first tree and kicked him straight oh. out of bounds. Then I looked That's at the right. scores. He took double, he took double there. That's right. You're right. Okay. So you, you at, at, after hole after the front nine, you're like, I played really well, but I don't want to see what the scores are yet. Well, it's just more like, I'm just having fun and, and hanging out with the dudes and score. I just want to play <laughs> my game. I don't know. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, before the fine. round started, I wanted to say this. Before the round started, uh, I I was nervous. I was so nervous, and uh, I went up to Calvin and and, uh, and I told him that, and he basically said, "You know, dude, just don't even worry about it. Play your game, and you'll probably be doing just fine." And uh, I I was like, "Dang, dude, Calvin just told me that, and maybe I should maybe I should do it." And so <laughs> I kind of just wasn't really worried about it, and, and it started hot, kept hot all the way up until hole nine. Took oh, that, that par. That, yeah, go. Sorry, go ahead and finish. Took the par, and you're just feeling pretty smooth, right? Yeah, it was feeling good. I wasn't really worried about anything. But then when I looked at scores right after Alden hit the tree, I was, I think I was like two ahead um, mm -hmm. of everyone else in that round. I was like eight under or something, and they were like six under, five under, yeah, something like that. And and I was tripping. I did not think I was winning, but. Uh, um, it, it was really cool to, to see the scores. And then, and I was like, Whoa, this is, there's like, there's a chance here. Like, wow. What, what that, were the nerves after you, after that happened? Like, what did you feel? Did you get nervous and was it harder to execute shot or did it put you into a, like a better zone even to where now maybe, it, you know, showman time the, is over and it's time to win the tournament or, or were you well, just like, no, I can't get that far ahead. I got to stick to my, my game plan and, and execute well showman time and i can just run through those holes up until hole uh, until it was uh, time to win the tournament if you guys would like yeah because yeah, i was gonna say whole whole well i i got them i got some notes here right so like hole 11 you know coming off of off of hole 10 and you, you that's when you looked at the scores after hole 11 right is that what you said no, well, well, luckily I threw my upshot on hole ten before I looked at the scores, and I wasn't nervous. Uh, hole ten, and yeah, I pretty sorry. much parked it. Yeah, but then okay. hole eleven. The reason why I I shanked it straight into that right tree, it yeah. it wasn't because of nerves. It wasn't because of any of that. It was the tee pad. I slipped round one hard. I slipped round two hard, and round three I decided to to move back a little bit and tee off in the middle of the tee pad. And that's the only thing I was thinking about was just not slipping on the tee pad. Okay. okay. Interesting. Um, was the wind pretty bad on hole 13 for the forehand, like the Heiser forehand? Cause I know Yuli, I think Yuli, you mentioned maybe on Jomez not going, uh, you were interested that he was going backhand there on, on you know, yeah, sorry. 12, hole yeah. 12, hole 12. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, on 12, I, I, the whole time I'm kind of just having my dad yell in my ear. I did totally, I knew he was just yelling in my ear, keep it in balance. Don't, you don't need to throw it over. The, I can throw it back and up the middle, no problem. I don't need to be throwing these big bomber sidearms on holes like that where you're going to bogey if you throw it out of bounds. There's no question about it. Or triple. And, uh, so I, or, or triple, that is true. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I, I executed that backhand pretty well. And mm-hmm. I wasn't nervous on the putt. I hit it dead center, maybe a millimeter too high. And uh, it was good. I was still good there. I was fine. I think that's it. so interesting about your game is even doing like commentary on it is we're just speculating because we haven't seen you play at all. And so like you, like you're saying that you go back to the point of that. Yeah. I got 500 both ways. I'm basically a lefty and a righty, but that is obviously true because of the way that you're actually, uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, pulling off the shots fairly easily. So you're just as confident with the backhand as a sidearm. And so that allows you to make the correct plays by going down the middle. And and not only it's just so fascinating to me because new guy, new lead card, but yet you're still golfing. You know what I mean? To the, to the naked eye of watching this for the first time, it feels like you're making mistakes, you know, by not doing these things that normally you would do like, okay, this guy has a huge sidearm hyzer yeah. over the thing and, and, and do it. You know what I mean? So it's hard for us to like understand that. So this is a great conversation to kind of get to the bottom of it. So now we're, now we're moving over onto hole 13. That hole ate me alive. I, I was trying to talk about how nervy that tee shot is because the tee pad isn't like lined up perfectly with the, it's like off to the left. It's like offset a little bit from the gap. Um, what's kind of going through your head when, you know, you clip the tree, follow B, what, what are you thinking? Cause I'm sure it's a million miles, uh, you know, a million thoughts are jumping in your head at that point. Yeah. Well, after Calvin hit the, the, the birdie putt on the, the previous hole, I'm thinking like, Oh man, I got, I got to really park this thing. And, uh, so he threw his shot first and yeah, it, it wasn't great. It was good. It was safe. It was in bounds looking at a, a birdie from distance. And, uh, so I step up and I'm not, I'm not nervous. I'm still having a good time. I probably still have a smile on my face and, uh, I threw it good. I threw a good shot. It was with my stable D one. It's not supposed to flip over. And you know, the wind was just a little too much there and it did flip over. Um, but I threw it exactly how I wanted it. If I were to go back and do it again, I'd throw that same angle. Um, it just kind of flipped a little too much and it hit the tree out of bounds. I walked over to my mom and I was like, I just lost, I just lost the tournament. (laughs) And I, I, I didn't know how to feel. It was so weird. So did that, did that kind of free you up a little bit on hole 14 at that point? You know, cause now, now you're no longer in the lead you're in your head, you you know, you're thinking, I just lost the tournament. Are you, Um, did that, did that help you at all going into hole 14? Not on hole 14. It helped me on the putt on hole, on hole 13 though. I I thought I lost and you know, I I still had to execute that shot from way downtown to get it up there into circle one to make that putt. And that Mm -hmm. putt was, it was a windy putt and um, Mm -hmm. it was right on the pole. I wasn't nervous. And I was just thinking, okay, cool. Maybe, maybe second place will be nice. Uh, I'll take it. Um, and I had a smile on my face that whole time, even when I hit that bogey putt until hole 14, when Calvin 
I I don't really know what was going through his mind, but he threw it very hard off the tee. Uh, I think he knew that I was probably going to go for the eagle, so he maybe wanted to try or something. But it looked like he ripped it, and uh, he hit the tree, and, and the camera panned over to me, and instead of, yeah, <laughs> I was just like <laughs> dead face dude wait a uh, second oh my goodness i'm back in this I, I thing because I'm, I'm going for the eagle no matter what yeah and 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 dude i instead of throwing that hyzer I, I i put a ribbon on it and got way down there and i wanted to see what calvin's uh second shot was going to do whether he was going to try and rip it over the green and and then i'd base my shot off that because if he you know if he went OB on the green or something then i could just pitch up for the birdie and probably a two-stroke swing again um but you know he threw a great second shot and he's all the way down there and it kind of when i was giving him the spot on that hole it kind of just seemed like he was just over he was so bummed out that he just did that rightfully so because i think that was one of the easiest holes on the course um mm-hmm. but in that moment i don't think he's thinking he's not thinking about me he's thinking about like maddie ohm he's not i mean i don't know where maddie was was at in that tournament but you know parker Wilk's not the guy that's going to come in and take out world number one um and so i lined up that forehand i was i was pretty close honestly and i ripped it and it was perfect everything about it was perfect i thought it was going in and then it just like poof i don't know what what it hit or something but it it hit the brakes really hard on top of the hill and it it really seemed so set up to be so picturesque in that frame of the camera where you know it's looking up a hill at me while i'm in the sky and looking down at the basket and in that moment i'm not really freaking out um i'm more of just like i i need to get this done right now i can tie i need to get this done and um i hit it and after i hit that shot man it was it was a it was a completely different feeling from there on out i I was in fifth gear that round, and then after I hit that putt, I was in sixth gear, and it 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 was crazy. I couldn't do any wrong. There was no wrong I could have done. Out of your hand, did you think you made it, or because it hit left side, were you like, "Oh, I missed it," and then it went in, and you were surprised, or or out of your hand, were you like, "Okay, yeah, I just made that." Um, it was in. I wasn't sure if it was going to do like one of them little jumpy things uh, outside the rim. You know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like hits the chains, folds over and then like flops out the side. Right. Um, but the putt was good out of my hand. I, I thought it was in and I kind of like kicked it in just just to make sure that it stayed in. Um, <laughs> but, but it was a good putt. Can we uh, size? Can we pull up his forehand? The second I think we have video of your 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 throw into the green there something that stood out to me and maybe maybe you this is just how you naturally throw but you actually run to the right and then come back to the left i don't know if that that image i don't know if you can see it parker on your side but you and i I think a lot of people at home are going to watch this and try to like break down your forehand form and go out to the field tomorrow and start throwing it themselves (laughs) to see if they can throw 500 feet do you know why you do that run up like you kind of almost do like a little bit of a banana run up where you kind of go off to the right and then you come in at the end at the left well i guess well i'm looking at it now and i think my only guess would be that's how power throwers throw their backhand they don't run straight they run kind of to the side and pull across their body Mm -hmm. um that would be my only reasoning why i think that would be the case uh but i that's kind of what i've always done i'm not sure 
Okay, so that's not something that you're thinking about in your head. You're just like, I'm just gonna rip this forehand, and then however yeah. it works, it works. Okay, all right, interesting. I might, I might go have to try that out myself. A little banana cut run up there. Um, so what? What's uh? I mean, are you watching Calvin putt his birdie on 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 14, or are you like already like walking to the next tee, being like he's gonna make this putt? Um, his par putt. Yes, I watched it. Um, it. I mean, I hit my putt. I went back to my mom and we were kind of just watching Calvin, see what he was going to do. And when he missed it, I was, yeah, I, I, it's kind of a weird feeling, you know, it's, he, he should be making those like nine, nine out of 10 times. He's making them maybe even 10 out of 10 times. And it's just, it was, I don't know if he was shaking up, if he got big putt or something, maybe it was just an honest error or I don't know what it was, but it was wild to see him miss that and give me the, the lead going into 15. Yeah, I mean that was a three-shot swing on hole on hole fourteen, which is nuts. Late late in the tournament, and it's just so crazy the ebbs and flows of a hole before you're going to your mom being like, "I lost the tournament," and now all of a sudden the next hole you have a one-shot lead going into the last couple. Uh, you guys all make all make birds on fifteen. I gotta ask because I think so many people were shocked with your shot selection on sixteen. Walk me through that. The, the, the flex stall backhand shot. I mean, that was a, that was a thing of beauty. It almost went in. Yeah. When we got up there, I guess, uh, I think it was the cameraman that pointed, or maybe it was the spotter or something. They said that it was like six inches from going in or something like that. It went right across it. But, um, that normally wouldn't be my play last year. At Worlds, I was throwing a, a fairway overstable fairway and kind of just throwing it out to the right and kind of come back left. This year, I during my practice round, I wasn't really prepared, and I didn't have like a water disc. I didn't have a disc I was willing to throw in the water. <laughs> um, so I practiced with an M2 and uh, just the straight hyzer overstable M2 play. Smoked that tree on the right side, instantly fell in the water, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, I don't have anything else I could throw on this hole." So I went to back to my bag and looked at this A5, my my beautiful A5, and I was like, "Okay, I'll just I'll just throw it. I probably should practice." And I threw that exact shot and I posted that video on, on one of my reels on the Thursday before the round or something. And if you look at all of them, they look exactly the same, pretty much the out of my hand, they all look exactly the same. And I'm definitely not going to argue with results. So no. there's a, uh, <laughs> throw, like... throw that M two straight in the yeah. drink, man. <laughs> <laughs> Having the confidence of like, this is the disc. This is the shot. I've done it before and stepping up and just being like, let me just repeat it. That's, that's huge. That's so, yeah. that's so and, huge on a hole like that. And if there's any sort of wind, I would, I don't know what I would do. I would have, I'd be forced to throw one of my, my nice discs that I, I can't afford to lose. And it, I'd probably, that'd be a little bit more pressure for me. But luckily if you guys look back at it, there's, it's just a pond. It's, there's no wind. It's, it was yeah. just perfect. Yeah. Um, all right. So you end up birding 17 Calvin takes par. I mean, you gotta be walking off 17 with a two shot lead at that point. You gotta be just like, Holy cow. Because I think one shot going into hole 18, you're like, it, it's probably is a little bit nervy, right. Of where it's like, okay, like oh, two shots. If I'm still like, if I'm lining up a birdie with one, one stroke lead and, and Calvin's right there for birdie. Uh, I'm definitely airballing straight in the water. 
Yeah, because at this point you're just like, all right, let me just let me just get something in play. I don't like, you, the bird. You just have to par, and and I think the way that whole 18 was set up this year versus in uh, last year, I think they actually made it easier for the power throwers. Um, it's not as a touchy shot. You can throw like that Heiser backhand and land in the big zone, and um, yeah, I mean you just played it perfectly. You threw it into a perfect spot. Threw your, I mean you probably. If you really needed to, you you had that birdie chance, but you didn't need it. And that's like the most beautiful thing, especially like like you were talking about the you know, not having a putt to have to win and have Calvin like right there and just being like, I've done enough this round, I've played so good this round that I'm given the opportunity of just having that tap in on hole eighteen. I mean, that's gotta feel good. Yeah, but Calvin threw his shot on, on 18 into a position where he could throw it in. And that was such yeah. a weird feeling for me, <laughs> standing there waiting for him to throw in like a 330-foot shot to, to tie me and force a playoff. And I'm just – I'm just, I, I, it was such a weird feeling. I'm standing over there next to my mom, just like pinching – fingers crossed or something. I don't know. But uh, when he missed it, it was – I went over to my mom, and instead of saying, Mom, I just lost, I said, Mom, I, I just won. That it is was, nuts. It is. It was such a special feeling. All right, pull the uh, the moment of the tournament. Silas, pull it up. It's the video that's been going around. The gift that's been going around. Um, I mean, I don't know if I've seen anything like this before. Yuli, you've been watching disc golf a lot more than I have. The 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 parkour jump between the V and the trees. I mean, uh, are we going to see a backflip <laughs> next? Are we going to see you like, you know, run up a tree and then do, do a backflip? Like what, what do you have in store? What, what, was this just like a spontaneous moment and we don't know you're going to bust out the worm or something. If you make a, a, you know, a 60 foot putt next time. I've been thinking about that, man. I think disc golf needs some fun. Um, and Matteo is a great example of it. That's why Matteo has so many uh, fans is because he's just a fun guy, dude. I mean, it would be awesome. And I talk about it with my friends all the time. Like if I ever go on camera, I'm always just like, dude, if I make like Jomas, I'm going to hit the gritty. And <laughs> of course I, I didn't do that, but uh, yeah, it, it's, that's what people want to see. You know, it's just having fun. You want to be out there having a good time. And uh, it was really cool to be able to be in that position to do that. Nice. Um, all right. I have a few more questions and we'll kind of get you out of here. Uh, what, what, uh, what pressure do you feel now after, after winning is the pressure a little bit higher going into this week? Um, I guess you could say so, but to me, I'm still an underdog and, uh, I think everyone kind of agrees with that, but there's, there's not really too much pressure along with it. I, I feel like I don't really feel too much pressure. Um, and this week, I don't think I was put on a feature card. So there's a little bit less pressure to perform. Fair, fair. Um, all right. You talked a little bit about the UDS probability going into the final round, saying that you had, what, what would it say? You had like a uh, single digit percent chance or something to win. And that kind of yeah. motivated you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it was... I don't know. I couldn't sleep the night before. So I was like, all right, I'm going to check out you just, what do we got here? And, uh, I checked it out and dude, it was, I, I which I agree. I, I kind of agree with the, the, the 1% and 
you know, I think it was you guys that brought it to my attention. You know, if I play, if I play Calvin one on one when he has two strokes, how many times out of a hundred times am I going to beat Calvin? And you know, one maybe. So I think that it's it's very close to one percent chance, but. In the time, I was like, nah, dude, there's no way it's 1% chance. I'm about to beat this guy tomorrow. <laughs> um, uh, should we be concerned then that you just, the Udis probability going into DMC has you at less than a 1% chance of winning? Should should we all be on watch that Parker is going to go out there and, and go back to back? I mean, nobody's ever nobody's ever done that before from from someone like me. No one's even done one of it, uh, but I don't know, man. I, I'm feeling pretty good about this tournament as well. Uh, we'll see if the putter's on. We'll see if uh, I can keep it in the fairway, out of the water. Um, but I'm, I'm feeling like feeling like I'll be doing pretty good this week. All right, um, all right. Pet peeves, pet peeves. This is a fan favorite. Everyone loves to hear what kind of gets under player skin. What are things they go through? I got a new one, Yuli. You ready for this one? Mm -hmm. The speech that we get prior to teeing off on hole one. We got to cut that out. We got it. We got to cut that out. I, I don't want to know about karaoke that's going on later. I don't want to know about the putting contest that I'm not entered in. I don't want to know about all these things that I don't want to know about any of this stuff right before I tee off. It's like, sometimes it's 15 seconds. No, it's never 15 seconds. What am I talking about? It's always like two plus minutes. I, yeah. I just want scorecard. Who's keeping score. Da, 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 da. Thank you guys so much. Let's get it going. That's, that's my new pet peeve is, is sitting there and, and, uh, and having to hear about karaoke later that night. And, and I don't know. Maybe, you think maybe anybody again. after listening to uh, karaoke, they actually went. They're like, "Dang, that's, that's pretty I hope good." Not, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe, maybe I'm. And again, I might be in that minority here. But like to me, it's like when I step on hole one. It's I don't know. I I I just it just sometimes feels like it gets dragged on for way too long, and I'm like, bro, I'm already nervous. I just want to throw. Like the last thing I want to hear about is this. So. Um, uh, so what do you got, Parker? What 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 pet peeves do you have? Um, I okay. So it, it kind of bugs me when uh, on live coverage when, uh, and I love Philo, but and Ian, both of them, uh, they've done coverage uh, for me before, but. When Philo was saying about my shots, like, oh, that looks horrible, man. That looks bad. It's going to hit a tree, and it's just perfect underneath the basket. It's like, why are you calling that out? Why? But it's it's whatever. It doesn't make – I mean, that's a good I don't pet peeve. bad side or anything. I love that guy. That is a good no, pet, a pet peeve, good though. Pet yeah, it is. Of them being like, oh, that's the worst shot ever, but the, it's like the wrong angle or something, and then it's like perfect. You know what I mean? And the question is like, what yeah, he's he he, 16 when he said it, he's like, Oh, that's got to get down. <laughs> I was watching. I was watching. You're like, I got that thing on a string, dude. I know what's up. <laughs> Any other ones? Or is that it? That's you have one pet peeve. Give us a fun one. I don't know, man. I, I wish you guys would text me this question before. So I could really think about it, but <laughs> Um, All right, I'll give so you. Uh, we... I'll give you. I'll give you my question. 
uh, out of all the people that you play with on tour, I know you, you hang out with a very talented crew. Um, who out there do you look at their game and you're like, that game's nice. Like I like, I like when players come on here and they give a little shout out to another player of, of whether it's Gannon's putt or distant or smooth or, you know, personality or, or whatever mental game, like who out there do you like a uh, part of their game? Well, you're saying part of your game instead of all your game. I was thinking about like, who is such a well-rounded player that I, I try to, to mimic. It can um, be, it can be that. Just... It can be that. Well, I mean, I, I got to say Paul Macbeth for if it's all aspects, uh, the way he carries himself around the course and, and the way he acts, he's, he's the goat. I mean, I always want to be like Paul. That's who I strive to be, but it's a lot, man. Um, but if there's one thing about one person's game, it's, it's gotta be Jake Wolf's sidearm and overhand and all that, all that stuff. You guys know about Jake I love Wolf. that. Yes. That's our first yeah. Jake Wolf shout out, man. That's awesome. I mean, it's wild playing with that guy, dude. It's wild. I played with, we, him, a few I played times. with him round one. Really? We stopped. We stopped on hole 18. He was teeing off on hole 16 and we like stopped. And I was like, guys, you got to watch this. And he goes <laughs> up and he's got two discs and he does his like, you know, his, his, his warm up where he's just like drops the one disc and then literally throws this, this, uh, tomahawk. And I swear if there was like, if there was a hallway, if there was a foot, a five foot wide hallway from the tee to the basket, it never left. It never hit the wall. It just stayed in this five foot and then almost dunked on top of it. And I was like, all right, this dude, if he, if he could figure out his putting, he would be, he would, he would be in contention and a force at some of these tournaments because his throws on some of these upshots, me and Ezra played with that Portland. He's like 200 feet away, just throwing tomahawks that are like clanking off the band. And you're just like, it, he makes it look so easy. So that's a, that's a good call out. That's a good call out for sure. Um, you, you got anything else? That's all I got, man. Pleasure watching you this last week and good luck. Uh, obviously in the morning challenge, let's do it again, man. Run it back. <laughs> Thanks for having me guys. I appreciate it. Good luck to you guys as well. All right, brother. Take it easy. All right. There we have it. Your 2023 DDO champion taking it down. Dude, I got to tell you, I, I mean, just, just the energy that he gave off. It, it was kind of like unfortunate that the crowd was kind of a dud and we're going to get into that. But imagine that guy playing in front of a couple thousand people, how nuts would go. Like, I don't know what oh he would gosh, do. Right. I don't know what right. he would do. Like he, he, legitimately might, he legitimately might jump on top of the basket and then do a backflip off of it. Like I'm, I'm not. Right. Well, I think that's part of it. Like, I think that's part of the reason why people are so locked in is because the crowd gets crazy wild with some things and you gotta, you know, you can't let that get in there. You can use it to like kind of push. But a lot of times I think what happens is, is you kind of got to push the crowd away and kind of just be there by, by yourself. So you're right. I think it would have been an absolute, Oh my gosh, wreck like Phoenix, uh, Phoenix <laughs> open type vibe with him doing those things. Yeah. Just like ripping off his shirt and just like waving around like a helicopter or something. <laughs> I don't know. And, yeah. and we need, uh, we honestly need more people that do show that emotion because I think 
right now, a lot of players, you know, up and coming players, like look to see what like other people are doing. And they're like, Oh, I need to behave this way. And I think what he said was so true where he said, I didn't play good last year at this tournament because I was trying to play someone else's game. He said, I'm playing my game. And I think he also on top of that, it was like, I'm just going to be who I am out in the course as well. And uh, it worked out for him very, very well, obviously taking down the win. So we'll keep an eye on him, see what he can do in the future um, as well. But again, another just shows you that the field is getting deeper and deeper. We're having guys that are, you know, not even the top 50 in the world coming on and winning. Like that would be, that would be an insane thing to have happen, you know, years ago. And uh, yeah, we're, we're seeing, you know, multiple people put themselves in contention now. So love it, love it, love it. Um, all right. We're going to get Haley King here soon to join in. Uh, but before we do that, let's talk a little bit about the 2023 president's cup team. It was just announced. This is uh we'll have uh, the list here pop up on the screen in a second. I know Silas is trying to get Haley in here, but uh, team USA. Captain Nate Sexton, you got Katrina Allen, Missy Gannon, Gannon Burr, Paul McBeth, Eagle McMahon, Ricky Wysocki. Then you have a fan's choice. Then you have a captain's choice. And then you have Paige Pierce and Calvin Heimberg on reserve. There was a lot of chatter online about why the heck is Calvin not on this team? Like, why is Calvin a reserve? Um, also, there were some comments of like, they were basically saying like Calvin should replace Paul. Here's the thing. This, and again, I think some of these things just like aren't really well known to the general public. Like I had no idea what was going on. So I texted Nate to try to get some idea of like what's happening. And this is basically what he told me. He said, how it works is four men and two women are selected based off of last year's 2022 year in will ranking on you on you disc. So if you go back and look last year, the, those were the top four guys. You had Gannon, Paul, Eagle, and Ricky. That's that's your top four yeah. right there. And um, that's just how it works. Now, on the European side, you have Naibo as the captain, which I think is going to be awesome. He's he's going to bring the energy for sure. Then you have Hannah, yep. Kristen, Nicholas, Linus, Vino, Laurie, and then the fans' choice, captain's choice, Evelina. And I believe it's – is it um, – how do you pronounce it? Uh, Yana? Is it Yana? Yona. Yona, Yona, that's right. Yona, sorry about that. Um, that's what we're looking at for the fans choice on the team USA side. You're going to be voting for Calvin Heinberg, Maddie O, Chris Dickerson, Kyle Klein, or AB on the Europe side. You're voting for Yona, Yaka, Mari, Je- uh, Yessi, Mikel, and Albert Tom. Uh, and one of those players will get in on the team. This is, something that I would love to see kind of built up a little bit more. Like it, it, it doesn't really seem like it does. It doesn't really get that much hype. Like, I don't know. No, I, I agree. I think that I don't know in my whole, it's it's crazy because in my whole entire career, president's cup, there are like the highest of the high for me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like I, I, I look think at that awesome. as like that that's like my main best thing that's ever happened to me is playing for my country, getting the win. Um, when I look at the players, I think it's obvious what's going to happen. I think that 
what needs to happen is he needs his captain's choice to be Calvin, and then the reserve needs to be replaced because he Calvin's going to be on there. Fan vote. I don't know who that's going to be. Uh, I know I voted for Anthony Barella, and I voted for um, Jakob. Mm. So that's who I voted for. But I think that uh, Calvin will be on there, and then fan vote uh, whatever, and somebody's going to be in the reserve. Okay, and I believe this. I believe this takes place the day before the European Open. Mm-hmm. Okay, so keep an eye on that. It should be good. And you know, Team Europe in years past has kind of gotten slapped, and uh, I think they're starting to be. They're starting to build a little bit more of a competitive team, if you will. And I think this season, I think it's it might it might be a little bit closer this season than years past. So. We will keep an eye on that, but without further ado, we do have Haley King with us now. So let's bring in your 2023 DDO champion, Haley King. Welcome to tour life. Thanks for uh, coming on tonight. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Are you in, uh, are you in Des Moines right now? Yep. I got in a little bit earlier this morning. Okay. Have you had a chance to play the course? Nope. I had, 30 hour drive. So I decided to take the day off. Yeah. Not a bad, not a bad idea. Is, is that 30 hour drive a little bit easier after, uh, after having a win a little, a little, a little quicker. Oh yeah, definitely. It gives you a little boost of energy, gets you home real quick. That's awesome. Um, okay. So the first, the first question I have Haley, because this is something that I have struggled to understand because to me, I always want to know where I'm at. I always want to know what the score is. What do I have to do? What are people doing around me? You said in your interview that you had no idea that that putt that you made on 18 was to force a playoff. Do you never, do you never kind of follow scores? Is that, is that kind of like, is what, if you're in contention, do you not look at scores? If you're out of contention, do you look at scores? I mean, it really depends on feeling. Uh, I checked scores way earlier, like through the final round, and I was pretty far out of it at that point, so I just didn't look again, and I knew that if I look again, I'm going to put too much pressure on myself, so I saw that I was down and didn't want to look again. Okay. Do you think if anything, uh, let's just, let's throw a scenario out there. Let's just throw a crazy scenario. Let's say on like hole 18, you didn't need to make that putt to win. You could have laid up to win and you try to make the putt. It hits the basket. It rolls OB. You find out later that, Oh man, if I would have laid up, I would have won Would something like that happening Would that change your idea that, you know, checking scores or not checking scores, or are you still okay with just playing without knowing where you're at? I think I would still rather play without knowing where I'm at because I think if I play my game, I'll win regardless of what happens. I don't, I went for it on 18 because I knew I can make the putt and I felt confident. So I wasn't going to change up my game plan at that point. What are you going to do when they have like massive leaderboards all over the course? You just got to put like, got to put like blinders up. <laughs> yeah. I, I am when I'm disc golfing, I don't notice anything. I'm very chill in my own world. Have you ever had like a player come up to be come up to you like in a turn and be like, Oh my God, Haley, you're winning the tournament, doing awesome. And you're just like, Oh my God, stop telling me what the scores are. <laughs> that's, that's definitely happened. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll get to the pet peeves at the end, but I think I just found another 
pet peeve, Yuli, of where it's like you're even par through seven and someone like opens up their phone. They're like, oh, my God, Yuli's 10 under through 10. He's shredding. And you're just like, okay, man. Okay. I don't need to know that right now. I'm good. Um, all right. Uh, one thing I want to talk about, because this is something that's been mentioned uh, just on our podcast, you know, on Grip Locked and on here. If you're just doing the eye test, if you're just watching you throw the disc and if you're just watching you putt and you're not looking at the scores, you're not looking at the leaderboard. If I'm just looking at the eye eye test, your game looks better than everyone else's. The way you throw, the way you putt looks above the, uh, above everyone else's. What do you feel like you have to do so that you can consistently kind of be in the mix at you know more tournaments is there is there something that you can point out of where you're like this is the thing that i've been struggling with well i think i'm definitely just i think i'm one of the most inconsistent players in fpl for sure um but i think really i just need time to grow up and you know experience real life and i know i've been on tour for a couple of years now but i'm still 21 years old i still feel like a kid you know so I think just getting that time, you know, actually growing up and settling into my brain, my brain's still going crazy, you know. Should should players be worried then that once you once you figure it out, once you kind of get settled in a little bit as you call, as you call it, I mean, are you just going to be going out there and winning everything? I mean, I think there's a really good chance. <laughs> but, <laughs> to say with your own game, but since we all see that cuz we like you said we've talked about that a lot to where we're just like, where's Haley King at? Like, she's got the best sidearm. She's got the best form. She's got the best putt. What do you feel like? Do you feel like when you play your game, are you like, I am the best player without a doubt? Like, what? where is your mind at? Or, or do you w- w- look at other people and you're like, oh, I'm not even close to that person or this person? Because, like, I've always been curious, like, what's going in your mind with, like, do you know how so, talented you are? <laughs> Do you know how good you are? Um, I definitely, I, I'm not a really cocky person. I'm confident in myself, but I'm not cocky at all. So I do think overall, I think I'm probably the best FPL player to play the game. But I think there's a lot of key components that are missing from that. So like Kristen Tatar, I look up to Kristen because she's the most consistent player that we, I think, have seen in FPL. And she doesn't throw like much further. I don't think she throws further than me. I think I outdrive her on both. No, you definitely throw backhand. Yeah, you definitely yeah. throw farther. Um, but it's like she doesn't go OB. I've already gone OB like seventy times this year. Just little stupid stuff like that that a lot of players don't do. But yeah, I think I think in my prime or not in my prime, but I think when I'm on, I think I can definitely be unstoppable. Hmm. Love that. What is your like practice regimen? Like how, how often do you practice? What do you do like outside of just playing the course? What, what does it look like? Uh, it's different when I'm on tour and like when I'm home. So when I'm, when I'm on tour, I only play one round a day and I usually do it in the morning. We tee off in the morning. So I like to get that morning practice in. Um, but when I'm done practicing, I like to get food right away and then I'll go back and I'll just putt a little bit, but I try to keep it really simple, make, making sure that I'm stretching more than anything. 
I've been playing disc golf since I was, I think, maybe 11 or 12 years old. So I know how to putt a disc. I know how to throw a disc. I've been doing it for 10 years now. So I just have to make sure that my body's in play. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I saw on Instagram, you would be posting like those, uh, over the off season where you're like putting from inside your house outside. That's a, that's a pretty nice little setup when it's cold, a little cold outside, you can kind of stay inside and get that putt through the door or whatever. That's dope. It reminds me of like some of those golfers that have like the sick driving range in their backyard where they can just like open up their door and just hit golf balls out. Like that's the dream is just to be able to have like that setup where you can be like in a close place and putt or, or throw shots. Um, what were your thoughts on the course as a whole on the FPO side? I always love kind of getting an insight from you guys. I don't obviously get to play the course, so it's really hard for me to kind of see, did the course play well? Did it not play well? What, what, what were your feelings out there? And then if you can touch on maybe some of the new holes that were towards the middle of the course that were formed, if you like those and if you see like any changes. Yeah, so, I mean, I think DDO is probably one of the more scorable courses for FPO. Um, I I don't want to say it's soft because in the wind it's definitely not soft, but I think on perfect days there are many FPO players that can shoot 18 if not 20 down. So, I mean, I was in practice rounds I was shooting 12 and 13, so it, it really isn't – it's not that tough of a course, but – I think in tournament play, it's obviously different in the wind and stuff like that. But I do think the changes that they made this year are pretty good. I think they're moving in the right direction, but I still think a couple of the holes are just like, where's MPO's T pad? Let's make it a little bit shorter instead of like actually creating a hole. But sure. I do think the new holes are, I think they're pretty good. Like the, I think it's hole 11, that short one for us. Instead of just mm -hmm. putting it right in the gap, they put it so we had to throw a hyzer on low ceiling. So I thought that was pretty good. And then hold time, I really like that change. I did previously really like last year's hold time. I think that was or last year's hole 11. Um, mm -hmm. But I think the combining the two holes was really good because it forced us to throw two good shots. So, did yeah. you did you think hole 13 was not maybe the best hole for the entire field of where you know um, you the par to me par is irrelevant right it's like if it's a par three par four par five who really cares it's more about the score separation and how that hole played for you guys do, do you feel like it it that was a hole that maybe they should have looked to to make a little bit more changes for you guys yeah, I think that hole—I don't want to call it a dumb hole, but I feel like it was a dumb hole. Um, no, you can you can say dumb. We, yeah. we allow that. We allow dumb holes to be called out here. Yeah, yeah it's. I think I was the only FPL player that was going straight over, you know, through that little gap. Um, everyone yeah. else, even Ella, Ella was throwing a roller to get up there, and it was like everyone was scoring the same on the hole. I think what they had previously a couple of years ago on hole thirteen that was a way better hole because OB was right there. You had to get around the bush and you had to make a good putt for birdie. But yeah, this year's hole 13, I think was a bad one. Yeah. Do you like, I'm curious, um, like, Oh, go Yuli. Go, you, go. Yeah. With your game, we've asked this question a few times to, to people on here and, and obviously being like one of the farther throw throwers in FPL, 
do you like the style of like traditional golf course, that style, or do, would you consider yourself like better in the woods? Honestly, I don't really know. I love all sorts of disc golf. I'm probably like <laughs> one of the worst people to ask that question. No, that's, that's interesting because it, the reason I ask it is most people that I say that like Anthony Barella, for instance, like obviously he throws it farther than every, everybody. And he says he, he would rather play in the woods, which is kind of crazy to me because of the advantage that he has like on an open course. Hmm, that is crazy. Okay. Yeah, I, don't uh, know. I, I have no preference. I okay. saw might might just be some random tweet I saw, but did you did you mention anywhere that you were like bored with this course at all, or was that just a random tweet that was not saying correct information? I think it was uh, misquoted. I I felt like I was playing boring golf. Oh, I was. Okay. I mean, I do honestly when I play disc golf, half the time I am bored, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, the course isn't. The course definitely isn't boring. There's, it's a roller coaster the whole time. That's funny because yeah. that was one of my questions. Like watching you play, you you seem so stoic, and it's so hard when I'm watching like FPO coverage. Like I can't tell if you're nervous, if you're bored, if you're just like in your own world and you're so focused. What like what is a mindset for you like going down the stretch? Is are the nerves crazy? Um, you obviously didn't know the scores, but like battling you know it was super close at any point are you nervous are you excited like what's Haley king's mind doing and how are you feeling in those moments um i mean going from like hole 14 um that final round i was kind of angry i guess because i knew i fell behind very early on i knew i didn't exactly know the scores i just knew that she was way further than me and she was still playing queen so i was pretty angry that i didn't get, kick it into gear yet right but then when we got into the playoff the second i was told that i was in the playoff i was like okay now i'm excited and i was ready to go so. do you, uh do you sometimes because we see we see all different sides on to me, okay, I'm trying to figure out how to word this. To me, it feels like on the FPO side, there is like more uh, talking with each other. Like we sometimes see you guys playing card games. We see you bust out the hacky sack. Is that something that helps you in between, like during backups or in between holes? Is that something that you look to try to do to kind of keep you your your mind off the actual disc golf? Or is that something where you're just like, if you're with three people, because like Kristen Tatar, for example, she's not going to be someone that is going to join you in playing hacky sack in between holes. So is that something that if you were on a card with three other people that are like, Hey, I'm just doing my own thing. Don't talk to me. Is that make it more difficult than being on a card where you're like able to goof around and talk kind of in between? Um, honestly, I don't really let my card mates like vibes. I don't let the card like mess with me in my feelings. So normally like if cat merch or Missy Gannon is on the card, like we're going to be laughing the whole time. We're going to be playing hockey sack. We're going to be messing around. But if I'm on a card with, Kristen and Ella or Holland or something like that, it's going to be a very serious round, but mm. I'm still going to go walk off, do a couple pull-ups, push-ups and hacky sack around. So, yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's nice. Um, okay. What are your thoughts? We talked about a little bit 
before you came on here. What are your thoughts on hole 16 as a playoff? When you found out that you're going in a playoff and they're like, all right, head to hole 16. What's going on here? Like, do you, do you, did you like that hole as a, as the playoff hole? For my personal opinion, I absolutely love that hole, but there's a whole reason behind it. When I first started playing disc golf, before I watched any YouTube coverage of anything, I was putting in my basement for, I don't know, probably five to six hours a day, and I was imagining hole 16 over and over and over again. So for me, I was like, heck yeah, I've practiced this shot thousands of times, right? I'm ready for this. Let's go. But... In the tournament play, I'm not really sure if it was the best idea. I think it worked well with, um, like, we, we interrupted the MPO card. So mm-hmm. I think it was probably a good choice or else we would have held up so many other cards. Yeah, that is a, to me, I think that sometimes sucks because I think that is in their head of if FPO does have a playoff, MPO is on the car, you know, on the course. So where can we put them? Like, where can we have the playoff to where it's not going to interrupt play as much? Like, I don't, I don't, I wish that wasn't the case. And that leads me into the question. Do you like having tournaments where FPO and MPO play separate courses? I don't know, because I do think that a lot of our fans are coming to watch MPO and FPO. I don't think they're just coming to watch FPO. So I think for the sport and for just the fun of it. I do like playing the MPO courses. I like seeing all you guys on tour. I mean, I play Fortnite with Yuli all the time. So it's like, it's good to see him in person, you know? Mm-hmm. What about if it was like a Texas state situation of where you're not necessarily playing a course on this side of town and a course on this side of town, you have two courses on the same property. So you can still have the fans go watch FPO in the morning. And then all they have to do is walk to the other side of the park and there's MPO. Okay. I did not know that happened at States this year, but um, I think that that's probably a really good compromise. That way we get our own little course and we don't mess with each other's practice times and stuff like that. Probably a way we should head in the future of the sport. To me, it just seems like in in the future, it's going to be easier because how you kind of mentioned, I feel like that happens a lot where the course is set up for MPO and then they're like, oh, this is too long for FPO. Okay, we'll just put the basket shorter or we'll just make a shorter tee pad. And there's not a really a thought process of landing zones and where the trouble is and where the risk reward is. And if you have like separate courses set up for FPO and MPO, I think it's going to be easier for the tournament directors, course designers to actually have a course that you step up and you don't feel like, like, let's be honest, hole two for you guys at Emporia. Like, what is that? Like, what is that? I agree. Holland, I agree Holland, turf, Holland, Holland turf their drive and still ended up making birdie, right? Like, what are we doing here? So that's where I think it could lead to more excitement. Um, moving forward and talking about excitement. One thing that we see a lot in FPO is two players, three players, whatever it may be coming down to the end. And you're just waiting for someone to like mess up, miss a putt, throw OB. And then it's like, Oh, well, the other person's going to win. That didn't happen in this tournament. Like you guys were going back and forth, blow to blow, and you end on hole 18 where one of you makes an eagle and the other one makes a birdie. 
Is that something that we can kind of maybe see more of as the field gets deeper and deeper, as more players get put in these positions, we're not going to see maybe the, the, what we've seen in the past of where it's like someone kind of just cracks under pressure and like misses a putt or throws something OB. Yeah. I think we're definitely going to see a lot more of that in the future. Like we've seen this year already between within the last, I guess ever since COVID happened, there's now like, easily 10 women on the pro tour who can win any given weekend. Obviously we have our favorites, but there's a lot of women on tour now who are showing up every single weekend and they're in the top three. Helen Hamley, for example, she's very close. She's due for a win this week or not this week, but you know, this year she's going to get one. Um, like, wait a second. I'm playing, I'm yeah. playing this tournament. She's not, she's, <laughs> yeah. not due for, she's not, she's not due for this, a win this week. Um, stat Mando came out with this, this stat, which I think is really cool to see. It's, uh, the best win rate for FPO majors in elite since October, 2020. It has Kristen's guitar at the top Paige Pierce just behind her. And then you and, uh, Katrina Allen. Do you feel like right now, like that is still the cream of the crop, those four players, as far as the, you know, the favorites coming in. And are there anyone, are there, is there anyone not on this list that you're like, this is someone that I need to kind of keep my eye on moving forward? I don't know. I kind of agree with the list because those people have still won a bunch of events this year and they know how to win. Um, I mean, they're veterans. We all know them, but I do think Valerie Mondujano should probably be on that list. She, she's one of the newer people. I mean, you know, she's came up, she won her first, I think her first pro tour wins were last year, I think. And Mm -hmm. she got injured and she's still shooting well. She's coming back out, but yeah, I, I think it's cool to be up there. I don't know. Keep, keep an eye out for Val. Yeah. That's a cool, that's a, whenever you can have those three names and be a part of a list like that, it's a cool list to be a part of. I want to take you back real quick to the playoff because I got a first uh, to see your last playoff firsthand because you guys went into hole 10 and I teed off pretty dang early um, <laughs> over there at uh, Jonesboro. So after that happened and you end up losing the cap merch going into this playoff, were you, what were your feelings? Like, what was it able to be like, okay, it's, it's my time. Or did any of those, those feelings of that loss creep back into your mind or were you able to kind of block that? And it never even came up. Yeah. It or like, Oh, here we go. Up. Here we go again. I'm in another playoff. Like what the heck, you know? Yeah, no, I didn't think of Jonesboro at all. It kind of left awesome. my mind. Um, yeah. I just, I was focused and I was excited to get into the playoff. Nice. All right. A few more questions and then we'll let you go. Haley, cause it's getting a little bit on the late side. Um, <laughs> So we just threw you on a list with arguably what's, you know, I would say right now, two people that could go back and forth as the greatest female player of all time. You have Paige Pierce, Kristen Tatar. What goals do you, do you have for the rest of the season and, and for your career in disc golf? Um, I don't know. That's something that I've always had struggled trying to, think about and like actually set a goal i the only thing i know i want to do is win at least one world championship but i think i'm still extremely focused on my physical health rather than um disc golf necessarily so 
I just, I don't know. It, I love disc golf, of course, but I'm out here because one, it's my job, but I want to be playing disc golf, but I'm not 100% focused on disc golf. I'm focused on my body while I'm playing. So my goal this year isn't to win any events. It's just to make sure that I'm physically in shape to be playing disc golf and see how I play based on that. So I just want to keep playing well. And yeah, I know if I have energy, there's a good chance I can win. So, yeah. Does that mindset change at all with, you know, money, legacy, anything like that with that, with that mindset of just like, Hey, I'm, I'm just out here trying to be healthy and play and whatever happens. Does that change if, if other stuff kind of comes into the equation of where it's just like hypothetical, let's say, let's say Des Moines challenge in every elite event moving forward, the winner takes home $50,000. Are you now all of a sudden like, wait a second. Like I need to, you know, I want to go out and win five times this year. Is that, is that matter? Does money matter to you? Does your legacy of, I want to go down 50 years from now and people look back and be like, Haley King was one of the best FPO players of all time. Does any of that stuff matter to you? Or are you just kind of happy with kind of, like you said, just kind of writing it out and just focusing on your health? Yeah, obviously money is great, but I would rather not win events this year so i can win every event next year because i know if i'm in shape there's a good chance i'm going to win a lot of events so i'm more long-term thinking uh because i want to play this sport for a long time and the only legacy i i guess legacy that i want to leave behind is just how much i can impact the sport i don't care about clout fame whatever you want to call it i just want to meet people all over the world and just share my love for the game and, you know, connect people who share the same love. Funny, funny story. I, uh, after my round, this dad with his son came up to me and, uh, the kid, you know, gave me a Frisbee to sign. His dad was like talking about how his kid was like basically wanting to come to the tournament to watch me play. But, but then he said, but uh, he watched Haley King and Haley King gave, gave him his putter after the round. And now he's like, Haley King's my favorite player. And I just want to watch Haley King play. So you definitely are having impacts on people out there. I mean, the kids smile when, when I'm sure when he got that putter from you is probably massive. So um, yeah, keep, keep doing that stuff and, and keep obviously pushing not just yourself, but also the FPO field, right? You know, we talked about before the way your form looks and the way you throw. Um, I think that that bodes really well for the future of FPO young players looking at you and seeing what is possible um, and having them kind of push forward. So keep, keep being awesome and all that. Um, all right. Final question I have for you. Fan favorite, pet peeves. Uh, I mentioned earlier another pet peeve that I had in mind. So do you have anything that kind of jumps out at you as as things that you just can't stand while you're on the course, off the course, any of those things? Uh, my biggest pet peeve is easily backups and having to wait in tournament. I don't care in practice rounds what's going to happen, but in the tournament, it just really bugs me. I don't know. Hey, it's a good one. Haley, will you sign the petition, the petition that I want to put out that says players, please walk faster. Will oh, you yes, sign please. that petition? Yes. Okay. And maybe, and maybe don't practice putt at like, you know, on a practice round, like you don't have to practice your putt. 
during the round. That's what the practice baskets are for off the course. Additional, additional petition as well is if we all just played a 200 foot par three and everyone threw it to two feet and we all tapped in for birdie, we don't need to go to the next tee and say, Yuli, what'd you get? Two. Okay. <laughs> Haley, what'd you get? Two. Okay. We can just be like, Hey, we all got twos move on. Sometimes I think these small things in tournament rounds, they add up when people just take forever and it makes, you know, a round that probably should take like two and a half hours, take three and a half hours. So, uh, I'm all for pace of play. So I love that answer by you, Haley. Um, Yuli, you got anything else? Yeah. Question I ask our, uh, our guests is out of all the people that you play with, who, what part of somebody's game or their whole game doesn't matter. Do you look at, and you're like, Oh man, that's really good. Or is it, you look at your own game and you're like, I I got it all. I mean, like I I mentioned this before, like I look at Kristen Tatar as one of the best to play because of the fact that she's so consistent. Do I see, like, I would, I wouldn't trade any of her skills for mine besides like, I want her consistency, but right. I look at someone like Paige Pierce who Paige Pierce and Ella and Holland, honestly, all three of those ladies, they, they really know how to throw a backhand drive. It's, it impresses me. I don't know how they do it. I've been trying to learn, still learning. And that is, that's one thing that really shocks me and just, yeah. I see yeah, Parker said same, same thing. He said, I, I look at Macbeth's consistency and he's who I would, I would pick great answers. Great answers. Yeah. Well, awesome. Haley, we appreciate you so much taking your time to coming on here. I know you'll probably sleep well after that long drive and hopefully you enjoy the course. They made some awesome changes this this year. So hopefully you go out there and enjoy that practice round tomorrow and good luck this, uh, this week at DMC. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. And good luck to you guys as well. Appreciate it. All right. Your 2023 DDO FPO champion, Haley King. Very interesting. Uh, when we, uh, we're the most interesting thing she told said, I think was the, the goals, like someone with her skill level. I I was ready for like, yeah, I want to win. I want to win five worlds. I want to win 10 majors. I want to consistently win on tour. And she just went with the, uh, I just want to be healthy. Very interesting. I, and I know that probably is maybe because like some injuries have plagued her in the past, right? She just wants to be able to make it through a full season. Yeah. I think it's kind of cryptic. And what I, what I took from it is she said she was humble before and she doesn't like to, um, brag or, you know, she likes to stay humble. But what she said was, I know this is what I took from it. I know that if I'm healthy I next year, yeah. I can win every single tournament. Yeah. And so this, <laughs> to me, what that says is <laughs> like, if I get healthy and I'm strong, especially with, when she was talking about her own form, she's like, I can win all these tournaments. So I think, you know, a lot of players are like that. They don't like to boast and they don't like to be like, no, here's my goals. You know, it's, it's, it's more motivation inside. And I would like to think maybe, and I could be completely wrong with this. I usually am, but I would like to think that that's what she's thinking is, listen, if I'm healthy, like it's going to be a completely different story next year. And it sounds like she is goal oriented this year. Mm -hmm. I want to focus on my health. However I play is how I play but the big picture is next year. 
Yeah, so we'll, we'll keep an eye and see what happens next year. Um, I want to run through this real quick. Just this tournament, whenever we play on golf courses, we're always going to get the you know OG wooded kind of disc golfers to hate on the courses. We're expecting that always. This tournament felt like we got a little bit more than other tournaments. And, you know, was that, was that maybe because the crowd was a little bit smaller than in the past and, and all these things, I'm not entirely sure, but, um, I do want to talk about the spectators though. Cause that was mentioned a little bit. Some people brought that up. There's a photo, which I first want to talk about this photo is not the best description or uh, depiction of the crowd because of the angle of the camera on these, the fans on, on hole 16 are all tucked kind of where the 2021 picture is. That's where the majority of the fans are. So you played later in the day than I did. Yuli. did it, did it look anything like the 2021 photo? Cause to me, it kind of looked a little bit like the 2022 photo of how many fans were there. It didn't seem like there was a lot, honestly, but I, I, I can, let me try to defend it just a little bit. So the first thing is usually at, um, DDO, there is also an am tournament going on. Yes. And so that's where we lose a lot of players. One mm -hmm. second thing is, even though Emporia is, you know, it's been called the capital of disc golf and all this stuff. Like you go to this town, it's crazy. There's disc golf everywhere. It's in front of McDonald's. It's next to Arby's. It's in front of a, you know, convenience store. There's baskets like in every yard that you could possibly imagine. It's, it is a disc golf town, but it's a disc golf town that's small way outside of Kansas city. So it is mm -hmm. a long drive for you to go, okay, I'm going to take an hour and a half out of my day, hour and a half back. I'm going to take my kids for a day this day or whatever. And the second or the third thing is I think as the game grows and as popularity grow with it, the players, a lot of groups are going to be going with different players. Now, typically it's going to be lead card, but one thing I saw this weekend was there was obviously most of the people are watching lead card, but like there was people watching my card and then there's yep, people pockets. watching a different, there's pockets of getting pulled around, which never used to happen. It was mm -hmm. always lead card. We're watching lead card and a couple stragglers. Um, that would be my like defending of what happened, but there's a few other, there's a few other points if, if I can add yeah, uh, to yes. why I feel like this, this tournament, I think obviously the main one was the am tournament. When you have mm -hmm. that, that's clear. When you have, when you have a tournament that's out in the middle of nowhere, you got to have, have a better reason than just to come watch disc golf to entice people to drive in. The am tournament was that reason not having that big. No, no. It was also father's day weekend. I don't think right. right now the way that disc golf is set up, it really is like, oh, I'm going to bring my son out to the disc golf course and we're going to have like a good Father's Day to get today. It's not really set up that way right now. Um, also, no Paul, no Simon, no Eagle. That matters. That's a big one. Paul's there. You might have 50 people drive in to go watch Paul. Paul not being there, yeah. those people might not be driving in. Um, another one is 
I do think these ticket prices are an issue. I haven't really looked into it uh, prior to this tournament. I really haven't looked into the ticket prices, but this is what I was told. I was told for a uh, for DDO this year, it was a hundred dollars for a three day pass or $40 per day for worlds in 2022 for this, uh, for a five day pass, it was a hundred dollars or $40 a day. I don't think worlds and DDO are on the same scale to me. I don't think those should be the same price at all. And then also I did talk to some people on Twitter to get an idea of like, Hey, what are you, what are you guys actually getting with your $40? Like what, if you paid $40 to show up, what, what does that look like? Well, you have to pay for parking or you, or you park in some random spot and walk in. There's some porta potties for you out in the course and you can watch a couple holes of disc golf and, Oh, and, and you can buy a hot dog at, I think there was like a food truck that you could buy a hot dog at. That's what you, your $40 got you. That's a tough sell when you can go to a major league baseball game for $40 for less than that. You can go to other professional sporting events for around the same price or less. And the amount of entertainment you're getting and the facilities that you have are way higher is the price right now for disc golf way too high. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, Yuli, that we were charging zero for people to come to these events. Is it way too high? It depends on the amenities. Honestly, it depends on what you're getting. I think that a place like Portland could charge that much because of the atmosphere that's provided because of the course is nicer because of, uh, you know, there was a tent set up to where you have different things you can do. They had a, a OTB. There was more. There was more stuff to do. Exactly. European exactly. Open. They have that cool big uh, TV that they bring in that you yes. can hang out and watch. There's a lot of stuff. Right. This place didn't have that, so I do think that the price was too high for this in particular. Now, for other courses, I think just like anything, venue matters venue matters. I'm not going to pay as much for to go watch a tournament in Texas for the shell open than I would to go to Torrey Pines. You know what I mean? I'm going to I'm going to pay more for the nicer place. Uh with that being said, I thought that the course and was in the best shape it's ever been and I thought it was uh I thought it played well, honestly. I thought that as far as a fan, though, that's for me as a player. As far as a fan, it's hot out there, man. It's hot. There's no trees. There's no trees. Yeah. You know, I want to see what I would love to see in disc golf is you, you, you have little pockets of places where you can go. You set up a little bar in the middle the where you can go a pavilion or whatever to where you go. You get a drink and you can watch three holes. You know, and there's these little pockets of places. There's another place that might have like a, a speed gun that you walk and you're like, oh, here, here, I'll take my boy over here or my girl to, to do the speed gun. And then you can buy a disc or whatever. I would love to see more of that to where it's more of, a, of an event than just watching the player. Because you get there early. You don't want to walk. <laughs> Let's say they're a big fan of Brody and then they want to watch their lead card and they wanted to watch FPO in the morning. You can't do it all. Dude, that that walk is nuts, man. You it's can't do up it all. and down and it's hot. It was a hot weekend. So so that's what that would be my answer. I would say 
venue matters and it was probably overpriced especially being emporia you have to drive in from kansas city if i'm there in emporia i'm paying the money i'm gonna go watch it i don't think the price is really gonna matter until it gets like crazy high crazy crazy high Mm -hmm. but that's what i would say all right a few other things to talk about des moines challenge is this week this this is my number one course not necessarily like what I think is the best course or what I think is the course that should be holding majors. It's my number one course where the people in charge, the community, the local, whatever, they take pride in making this course better year after year. We, we got here last year and I was like, Oh my gosh, the changes they made like that T box they made on seven or uh, yeah. On seven on hole three, the new hole, I'm like, holy cow, this is insane. If they didn't make any changes this year, I would be like, oh, it's fine, whatever. They now have grown out the grass on hole one, which is also kind of connects to hole two. That changes that the look of that hole changes completely. It looks so good now with the long grass Agreed. than before. And talking with some of the grounds crew people there, like it's not easy. They're talking about how much extra work it is to maintain that tall grass. Then before you just had the mowers kind of mow everything and you throw, you know, the post up of like, Oh, you're OB, you're not OB. Um, So I want to give a shout out. I found the person in the club that are responsible for this. So I want to give a shout out. I'm going to butcher his last name, but it's Ty Tannett. I believe T T A N N A T T Tannett. And the DSM Disc Golf Club, those are the people that are responsible for all the work that you see. So when you guys are watching live coverage or if you're watching Jomez this week and you're seeing these course, this course and you're like, holy cow, this course looks incredible. It's amazing. Look at the mulch they have on hole five. On hole five. It looks insane. Those are the people to thank. And, um, yeah, I think what sometimes we take 17. Oh, Oh, the new, the new, yeah. They put in two not, bridges. I was going to say, not only do they put in a completely new tee pad with, with rocks and bowl uh, and all these different kind of concrete things around, they put two bridges in to make that walk super nice. And uh, yeah, I mean, they, they're, they are willing to spend money, make, make the course a lot better. And I think sometimes as players, we take that a little bit for granted. We just like show up to a course and we expect everything to be nice. Um, I don't even want to, I mean, let's not even, mention the fact that that how much water they have on the course they don't just have jugs of water they have literally water bottles in ice and i know that sounds like that's not a big deal but that is a big deal that makes a huge difference especially with how hot it is out there so des moines challenge is always a tournament that i look forward to every year and like i said i think it is the best course as far as the people putting in the work to make it better and better year and year um, after. So it should be like the pinnacle of what other courses look for of like, how can we make our course look better? They should look at what they do at Des Moines and try to replicate it. Um, That's a great shout out. Okay. Uh, Euro tour disc golf, Kono Peach day, the Paul Macbeth tracker uh, went down. You have Rachel Turton, which we actually mentioned her, I believe, a couple weeks ago at having like a decent finish. I've, it might have been Portland. I don't know what event. I can't remember what event. But she ends up taking down the FPO uh, champ uh, division. And then you have Nicholas Antilla coming back. Antela. Thank you, Jerem. Sorry. Antela. Nicholas Antela taking down the MPO side. 
uh, first tournament back on uh, European soil. So he comes back and takes it down. We did have might be one of the crazier rounds this year. Paul McBeth setting the new course record 14 under par during round two. There was some sort of bad weather going on. So guy kind of pushed back all the rounds and they set like the world or their course record or the European record for like the fastest round. Uh, This is a photo of Paul, I believe on hole 18 and uh, I'll do the, what you know. Most commentators do is uh, the it is darker outside than the images the camera is showing you. Um, so that they basically played in the middle of the night, uh, not the middle of the night, but in, in darkness. I think Nicholas said something along the lines of like on hole eighteen, he couldn't see the basket outside of like twenty feet. Um, so pretty crazy uh, finishing there. And uh, shout-outs to both of them for taking it down. Last thing, uh, Aaron Gossage and Germ, I don't know if you wanted to actually jump on here because you were part of this video. And so I don't mind you guys giving a little back and forth. Aaron Gossage, hot take on the Jomez practice round, said that Maple Hill is one of the worst courses we play on tour. He says that there's not enough decision-making on a course that doesn't have a lot of par fours and par fives. Um, Yuli, for the people that didn't really maybe see that or you guys didn't really maybe have the chance to expound more on it. What, what is your thoughts on Maple Hill being one of the worst courses we play? Okay. I love Maple Hill. I haven't missed a year in forever unless I was injured. It is one of my favorite places to play on tour without a doubt. My only take is every year, it seems like, They have the rankings of the best courses that we play, and it's always number one. And I'd push back on that because of a few things. The first thing is it's a tree farm. So the the course changes every year depending on how many people go to get a Christmas tree. That's mind-blowing to me. You just don't like Christmas then, really? No, no, no. I love Christmas. It just, it just makes the course way easier every single year. Now hole one changes every single year by Christmas trees growing. Then they drop them down. My next thing is hole one's landing area. This is the other thing. Hole one was the best starting hole ever, right? It was voted the number one first hole in the world. My pushback on that is the landing zone is a dirt road. It is a dirt road without a doubt. That's the landing zone. I'm sorry, but I, but I cannot, (laughs) let me finish my take, man. (laughs) I am not going to give the number one starting hole, the number one spot when my landing zone is legitimately a dirt road. That's crazy to me. If you want me to bust out my, my checkbook, and buy 50 Christmas trees to make a bigger landing zone on hole one. I will do that for you, Yuli. You well, just, that's you not give true because when you, when you get a Christmas tree, Brody, this is what happens. Okay. Let me tell what? you. Talk to me. You, Talk to me. You don't, you don't go like this. You don't go, I'm going to dig this Christmas tree up. You go rant. And then there's a stump. You don't like the stumps. You don't want to, you don't want a stump fairway. (laughs) You're telling me you're going to buy 50 things. You're just still going to lose. You're still going to leave 50 stumps. That's my new landing zone is a 50 stump 
freaking it could be the stump area. fairway. That could be like its thing, the stump fairway. See, you this just is where we're going with this. <laughs> this is the argument I get in with everybody that I talk to this about this about is they go, yeah, but what else are you going to do? I don't know, not have a dirt road down the middle of the fairway and not have a Christmas tree farm. It's not a disc golf course as far as the best that we play because we play places that – I feel like are actual disc golf courses. The champions cup is a disc golf course. It's a pro it's a piece of property that a disc golf course was designed. It's a real disc golf course. Okay. Pickard park. That's what, the course we're playing this week. Pick, it's, Pickard park it's tough. Is to one like. of my, it is a disc golf course. Okay. Yep. I don't remember throwing down the middle of a fairway and the landing zones are road on Pickard park. It's a fair it's point. Not a thing. It's not a thing. Okay, there is a my favorite place to play was in Yarba. There's no roads that you land on, man. It's disc golf fairways. And that's my only pushback with that is I get it. It's a beautiful hole. That it has all the elements that we want. It has water, the downhill picture picturesque shot. It has a really tight green. Um it is one of the best they, approach shots on tour. I will say that. Oh, it's super fun. It's super fun until you you land on the road and you and you're and now you have marbles to throw on <laughs> with a perfect drive, or you land just to the left of it and you have thirty Christmas tree stumps and you have to do a standstill or something. Listen, it's not a disc golf fairway. I don't care what anybody says. It's just not. We're landing on a dirt road. So you don't like the take of making disc golf harder by uh, throwing thousands of marbles in the fairway to where you have to throw off of marbles. You don't like that take. Not, not a fan of that one though. No. Okay. Gonna, You're out on the, out, no. on mar out on marble fairways. Um, I, I do agree a little bit with what Aaron is saying in the sense of a part of disc golf that I think is lacking in a lot of tournaments is the actual decision-making I think that was one of the reasons why DDO wasn't that exciting to watch this year is removing the wind caused some of the shots not to be as uh, you didn't have to decide like, should I be aggressive here? Should I go for it? I do think a lot of the holes at Emporia country club are good holes. I think it's hard to really depict that via camera and be able to explain to people like, Oh no, hole two is like actually a really tough drive. It's not just, I'm just going to power this hyzer and get around. It's, it's a very tough drive. I think that's sometimes hard, but I'm with you on that. I do think sometimes Maple Hill kind of gets a little bit of an overrated view because again, it's tough that it's not an actual disc golf course. The main primit, the main reason that property exists is for the tree farm and not actually disc golf. So I'm with you on that and for a little bit takes away a little bit of it, but I mean, whole 18 brother, whole 18 is pretty sick. It's sick. Depending on how many Christmas trees are taken every year. <laughs> now, now, now my last thing is listen, Maple Hill is one of the funnest places that we play. I love playing there. I always have loved playing there. It is super fun, but in my opinion, like, like, for example, what's the best hole? What is the best hole at country club? Do you think? I like 17 a lot. And eight's a really good hole. Nine's a really good hole. 
What about 16? Do you like 16? 16's a really good hole. 16's my favorite hole. And when I look at it, it's the most beautiful hole that's on the course, right? Can you agree? It's a disc Uh, golf hole. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a disc golf hole. It's not a traditional golf hole that we're going down a disc golf or a golf fairway. It is an Mm -hmm. actual disc golf hole, standalone, made for disc golf. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a perspective that we have to keep in mind with your point of being like, oh, it's hard to tell what's going on on this hole because of blah, 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 blah. We're throwing down a traditional golf fairway. It's going to be hard. It's not designed. If we're putting a basket down a traditional golf fairway, it's going to be hard to have perspective because it's not designed for disc golf. On a traditional, on an actual disc golf course, you know what's going on because it's designed for the flight of a disc for that hole. Hole hole three at uh, Picker Park is a perfect example of that was all woods. And they're like, Uh we're going to carve out a really cool hole on this, on this part of the property. And last year they didn't take out enough trees. They figured out like, okay, like we didn't take out enough trees this year. They took out enough trees. I think that's a really freaking good hole. Now like you said, really freaking good disc golf hole. So I'm on you on that. We'll let everyone go, uh, go ham. Uh, Jeremy, do you have, do you want to, give a, a quick word on your take on maple hill hello everyone um yeah i think uh you can put it down the table oh yeah. here look at this yeah, there you go yeah, yeah. you and i are on the same page yeah, you're in hey it's good to see you bud yeah. uh first time uh talker long time yeah. listener we'll have to have you we'll have to have you on the show yeah that'd be great but okay a quick cameo uh the cameo appearance about maple hill um so i hear his take about making decisions i think that we do that pretty much all season i think most of the courses that we play are um predicated around making decisions par fours par fives are a big part of our tour i think that it's really nice to play a course like des moines like idlewild like maple hill that are technical and execution reliant courses yes it's a decision but a lot of times the decisions are made off the tee you're making those decisions not necessarily putting yourself in position for the next shot but this one shot there's so much weight and emphasis on this next throw in front of you if if you do not execute the shot this could be a two-stroke swing against you or for you you know so i i like that because i think it puts a lot of pressures on the tee shot and on our courses that we're playing mostly on tour the pressure is mostly on the second or third shot. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's nice to have a tournament and a course that's well-loved by everyone that plays it. Mm-hmm. First off, it always belongs on tour. Like, no question about it. If Maple Hill's available and we don't play it, I think it's a disservice to our sport. Um, but I also just love seeing people struggle in the tight lines. Um, I, I know that there's – Yuli's going to – he loves the roads, man. He loves those roads going up fairways. We did talk about the roads for a little bit. Yeah. We talked about the roads for a little bit. I mean, I, I hear that argument. It's not beautiful. I mean, if those were grassy hills, I think Yuli would say it's one of his favorite courses. I think that's the one thing that maybe is his big knock against Maple Hill, and I understand that. But I think the shots that are actually in front of you, the, the shots that you have to execute, are some of the most fun mm. and mentally captivating shots that, that we play for par threes on tour. And that place is special for so many reasons for me. But um, as a player, I love it. But also sentimentally and nostalgia, all those things really make that place special for me. So hearing Aaron say what he said last week, I was like, mm, pump the brakes, bro. Pump the brakes. But I respect his opinion. He, he yeah. backed it up with with 
things that, you know, I necessarily, I hear where he's coming from, but we don't need that every single every, tournament. That would be my, yeah, that would be my only take is that I, I'm okay with having the occasional par three course or a uh, par three heavy course, uh, if you will. Yeah. I don't think we necessarily need to have four par fives, eight par fours on every course. Yeah. Um, but I think that course could use a couple extra par fours. Well, there was there was a par five back in the day that technically wasn't on the property. They mm -hmm. eventually had to change that. That's now hole twelve. Um, it was twelve then as well. But uh, that hole was really fun through the woods. It was, a, it was a hole that you could eagle, but it was really challenging. Um, but yeah, it just it doesn't really suit up suit well for a par five. Um, some more longer par fours. It's hard to get that in that property. Yeah. It's, it's incredible how well they've stretched that property out. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mess much with it. I mean, every year they try to making things a little bit more difficult. 18 is a full stroke harder than it was a, a couple years ago. It's a great hole. It's a phenomenal hole. That's a great par four. And that's one of those decisions that really comes into play off the tee. Mm -hmm. The second shot, man, do I go for this? Do I go for the glory? There's nothing like the feeling of landing on that green putting for birdie with that crowd behind the pin. It's a special place. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's got a place on tour and Aaron will meet a lot of angry uh, mass mass holes when he gets up there this year. That's for sure. All right. That's it. Yeah. I, hey, shout out to us not having to play masters cup. Cause that was always scary for me to have to go there after talking about how bad that course was um, for tour. But uh, I think there's a massive difference between Maple Hill and masters cup, right? Like masters cup day law was a par three course. Every hole is par three. Maple Hill does have some really good par fours. Say what you want about the drive on hole one. That second shot is really freaking good. Um, hole 17 is is a pretty good uh, par four as well. So um, we'll, uh, we'll see kind of what the future is moving forward there. Um, all right. Picks, picks, picks. Cool. Yuli. Picks for this week. So Steve's nerd is on a uh, vacation, but he said that doesn't stop me, but I do not have my spreadsheet. So he just blasted it out on a um, notepad, I guess. So shout out to Steve's nerd. There is no breaks even on vacation. Have a good time on the beach. My friend uh, last week, I got one point for my Ricky Wysocki pick. You got, Three points for Calvin Heimberg and one point for Joel Freeman takes you back in the lead. 48, 47. It's kind of nuts. Yuli, how close we are going back and forth. I know. Um, those, those are the names that we cannot uh, pick for this week. I am actually in last place. Um, so uh, I get a pick first and this week, uh, let me pull this up real quick. I'm prepared for with everything except for who I'm picking. Cause I, I like to also, it's kind of like fancy football. I, I don't like to have like an idea of like, this is who I want to pick. And this is who I want to pick. Cause I don't want to get sad if you pick my player. So here we go. Um, all right. I'm going after uh, a pretty bad performance last week. I'm playing with him on feature card. You actually get to commentate first round, so hopefully I do tour life justice and we do we do well out there. But I'm I'm taking Gannon Burr first pick. Man, great choice, local kid. Local kid. I think he's gonna yeah. I think he's gonna show up for gonna his hometown. He's gonna he's gonna be hungry after not playing that well last week. 
All right, you get two go... picks now. Okay. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Matt Orm. He's just so consistent. Dang. Dang. See, this, this is my problem. I wanted to pick him, and then, like, now I feel bad because you picked him. Um, all right, good pick. Matty O, you get one more. And then I'm going to pick the defending champion, Simon. Okay. Uh, and then for me to finish it off, I am going my boy Ezra. He's been playing really good in practice. And you know what? I'm going with a hot hand. I'm going to go Alden Harris. Nice. All right, final pick for you, um, Yules. I'm going to go with... There's a, sneaky, there's a sneaky one on there. He hasn't played in the last couple of events, but he's playing this week. Sneaky one? I just picked the sneaky one. Well, I maybe mean, I'm Dickerson's just saying that to get there, in your head. But, but I'm not going to pick him. I'm going to pick... You can go, you can go Dickerson. You can go Dickerson. I'm going to pick, I am definitely going to, I'm going to pick Evan Smith. He's been playing great. All right. James Proctor is who I was talking about, but no, I saw, I saw right. Proctor, but there you have it. I, I've got, got Gannon Burr, Ezra, and you has got Matty O. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah, it's fair. The proctologist does not take any offense to you not picking him. I'm sure. Um, there you have it. Those are our picks. You, you got anything else? I don't, man. I'm ready. I think we covered let's everything. Get, uh, yeah, let's have a good week, man. Let's play well, and uh, see you guys next week. Yeah, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We appreciate everyone that's listening live, everyone that listens uh, on all the uh, audio podcast platforms as well. We appreciate all the support. We look forward to next week, and we'll see you then. Thanks so much for watching. Have a great night.